Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Good morning and welcome to the Bill Press Show. I'm Jason Dick, the leadership editor at Roll Call. I'm subbing in for Bill Press, who is, I think, sledding down the Capitol Hill uh, (laughs) steps right now as we speak. It is snowing, uh, as you may have noticed if you've seen a weather report uh, that's panicky for the last 24 hours all across the East Coast in Florida. And Peter Ogburn, who's joining me in studio, is is always here in studio. I'm the interloper. The entire Uh, East Coast. The entire East Coast. Total snow A bomb cyclone, they call it, uh, (laughs) which is a really gentle weather term. Even your hometown, Peter, of Charleston, is under snow. I was talking to my mom yesterday. I, I, when I was a kid, there was one time that we got about an inch, an inch and a half of snow when I was a kid in Charleston. It hasn't happened again since. And yesterday, <laughs> they got like they got a lot of snow. They got over five inches of snow, depending on what part of the low country. To, to the point where Senator Tim Scott, uh, who, who lives in the Charleston area himself, uh, was not able to leave town uh yesterday everything is closed (laughs) everything is closed everything is closed in charleston like everything (laughs) even the ordinary even the ordinary i love the oysters come on (laughs) something tells me something will (laughs) something will open up they will get food somehow (laughs) the the mag the the magazine editor is a garden and gun will insist on it yes exactly they can have some sort of features about (laughs) about how charleston deals with the blizzard uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the Bill Press Show. We have a great show for you today. Joining us later on will be Brandon Weatherby, the editor, uh, managing editor of Brightest Young Things. He's the author of The Donald, How Trump Turned Presidential Politics into Pro Wrestling. We thought this might be somewhat apropos. Sure. <laughs> G- given this, uh, is is it really only Thursday? It feels like Thursday and dog weeks. We, we, you know? <laughs> we haven't even had a week of the new year happen yet. And like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, later on, after after Brandon leaves, us, takes us leave, his leave. Uh, he's a Chicago native, so he's probably walked here uh, like half naked, you know, because he's loving it. Uh, Bridget Bowman, my colleague at Roll Call, politics reporter, will be joining us, and uh, she'll be talking about some of the midterm stuff that she is looking forward to covering over the next year, both House and Senate. And then at the uh, wrapping up for us will be Ward Six Council Member in D.C. Charles Allen. He's going to talk to us a little bit about some of the local federal issues that we uh, deal with as residents of the District of Columbia. Uh, 
Uh, he is the council member for Capitol Hill. A lot of members of Congress are theoretically at least part-time constituents <laughs> of, of Mr. Allen, uh, but he, he, is, he deals with a lot of local federal issues, and we're anxious to... I'm sorry, we're eager. The grammarians out there will, will, will note that it's <laughs> eager, not anxious, to talk to somebody, unless you actually really are nervous. Perfect. Uh, but, let, Peter, let's talk a little bit about this, uh, you know, it, this incredibly slow news day. Yeah, right. Yesterday. <laughs> This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. we got a lot to talk about. One story uh, that's worth mentioning here. Uh, two Democratic senators were sworn into office yesterday. Like, news continues to happen, even though things at the White House are totally insane, which we'll get into in a moment. Yesterday, Mike Pence, the vice president, administered the oath of office to not only Doug Jones from Alabama, but also Tina Smith from Minnesota, who was replacing the retiring pushed out of office, Al Franken. Uh, One interesting note, Doug Jones had his son there with him, who is a gay man who was not looking upon Mike Pence with the kindest of faces. He looked like he was very pissed that he had to be there with Mike Pence. It's also, you know, one one thing to note, this was a relatively extraordinary day for a, what's supposed to be a, a, a regular day. You know, like the, you got to convene this session of Congress sure. on, on January 3rd. We had three vice presidents on the Senate floor yesterday. We had Walter Mondale escorting Tita Smith uh, with Amy Klobuchar. We had Joe Biden ex- uh, escorting his friend Doug Jones down the aisle. Uh and then Mike Pence was there. So yeah, this is a yeah, this that. is a relatively rare occurrence when you've got three vice presidents. And again, there there is one job the vice president has according to the Constitution, yeah. and that's to preside over the Senate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one yeah. job, you break ties. One final story. We know that Paul Manafort has been indicted on money laundering and other charges, but he filed a lawsuit against Robert Mueller and the Justice Department saying that uh, they violated the law in appointing Robert Mueller. So, we are now going to have this also, this drama play. On any other news day, it would have been the lead story. Yeah. Right. Any other day. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Welcome back to the Bill Press Show. I'm Jason Dick. Guest hosting for Bill, who is uh, rappelling off of snow-covered buildings in D.C. He's so excited about the cold. (laughs) Joined uh, here in studio with Peter Ogburn, who, as I stated before, is always here. He is the stalwart. Uh, I am the uh, just the person who prances in and, and pretends to be the face. It's nice to uh, have you in, man. <laughs> it's great to be here. It is it is it is lovely uh, out. Actually, it is like it's not that cold. Uh, it is snowy, but it's not that cold. I actually like this. Having grown up in the South, I never ever saw and, snow. And being a Viking. I don't and know, being uh, a Viking. Like, uh, you, yes. Those of you on YouTube can see this. Uh, <laughs> uh, Peter looks like uh, an Icelandic assassin right now with his hoodie. Uh, his hoodie on and so forth. <laughs> Don't give it away. <laughs> Those that know me closest know that Icelandic assassin is very close to the truth. I uh, I, I love the snow. I do love the snow. I mean, it, it, it provides it, like there are some traffic snarls around DC, being you know a, a giant hill mm-hmm. that is a bit of an issue. But like, it's all right. Yeah, it's fine. We can handle it. Just I grew fine. up in Maine, and I hated the snow once I became a teenager. And then I moved down here, and now I miss it again. Mm-hmm. So I got a white Christmas when I went home. My girlfriend had never had a white Christmas either. It was it was awesome. 
I love it. Main, main, South Main, or away. I Southern Main. Those are the three things. Those That's three right. Levels of existence. That's main, it. South Main, and That's away. All there is. <laughs> or Canada. <laughs> or Canada. Yes, it's, it's the fourth dimension. It's like the up down. <laughs> well, let's 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 walk through this um, this week so far. So New Year's Day. You know, we got some. Got some football. Sure. Got, got some hangover, like, you know, cures, like being uh, bandied about. They don't work. Uh, and then, you know, we have a, a relatively smooth-ish start, you know, to, to the week uh, it, it, until about 7 a.m. On, on Tuesday <laughs> <laughs> when, when the president uh, tweets at, at Kim Jong-un that uh, he's he's got a bigger nuclear button or, you know, something like that. Uh, instantly giving, you know, like setting off a, a, a wave of memes about, like, buttons and hand sizes and, and so forth. Uh, but, you know, this is like, this is kind of crazy. I mean, the, 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 this is like, I mean, and, and I, don't, I don't mean that. I'm not, I'm not trying to diagnose anybody. I'm just saying that starting the new year uh, with like nuclear threats, I mean, this like raised everybody's concern yeah. uh, with, uh, with, with Kim Jong-un and, and, and the president. And then we get to yesterday, but we, we barely had time to digest <laughs> uh, the fact that we might be, you know, Annihilated, or right. the, or uh, you know, in in the next few hours, uh, before the the Bannon you know uh, feud began. So let's talk about this. What what happened yesterday? I mean, like it 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 is it is kind of like hard sometimes to get through some of the tweets. I actually I should say tweet the tweet storm started Tuesday morning about Iran. Yeah, and then it it, it the Kim Jong Un uh, tweet didn't happen until later on in the day and as we were sort of waking up and digesting that then the ban and stuff just kind of blew up what like let's walk through this for for our readers who may be like i'm still on my only on my first cup of coffee <laughs> yeah it's like it was so nuts at how this played out cuz we originally saw this story that Steve Bannon said that this meeting with the Russians at Trump Tower was quote Treasonous, right. and this was for a a book that he had been a source for. Yeah, Michael Wolff's book, Fire and Fury. Yeah, and I saw that. And I was thinking, Jamie and I were talking about it right after the show yesterday because uh, it really hadn't developed as like things moved so quickly with with the Trump administration. But we were talking about it and how insane that he had put out there. One of the other quotes that they use in the book is that they were going to crack Don Jr. like an egg, <laughs> and it brought me so much pleasure. <laughs> Those words, the way that they were put together in that way. Uh, but the next thing you know, Donald Trump puts out this statement about Steve Bannon that was which, which the ice White House, cold, right? And, and and the White House made sure that everybody knew that that Trump helped dictate this. Yes. This wasn't this wasn't just gone over by committee in Sarah Huckabee Sanders' office. I mean, the the president was apparently involved in you know this the drafting of this because he wanted to make sure everybody knew. Uh, just how ticked off he was, and here, so let, yeah, let's 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 get some highlights here. <laughs> here's here's what the president of the United States said about Steve Bannon, who chief strategist ran his campaign at the end. There, uh, this is this is how it starts. Steve Bannon has nothing to do with me or my presidency. When he was fired, he not only he not only lost his job, he lost his mind. Okay, first two <laughs> sentences, pure gold, pure gold. Steve was a staffer who worked for me after I had already won the nomination by defending by defeating 17 candidates often described as the most talented field ever assembled in the Republican Party. He was in the coffee boy ranks with George <laughs> right. Papadopoulos. Right. He, Calling- he and Papadopoulos were uh they were gathering uh you know, like flyers. Uh, <laughs> Wearing the page outfits like they do at the networks, you know. Calling Steve Bannon a staffer yeah. is 
like ice cold. I know that Trump is like an outsider to Washington, but that is like a total knife in the back Washington style. Um, so he goes on. Uh, he says, now that he is on his own, Steve is learning that winning isn't as easy as I make it look. Steve had very little to do with our historic victory, which was delivered by the forgotten men and women of this country. Yet Steve had everything to do with the loss of a Senate seat in Alabama held for more than 30 years by Republicans. Which I, I must point out at the 30 years is not uh, accurate. This is how we may know that the staffers actually didn't dictate this statement. <laughs> right. Because uh, Hal Heflin, who's the last Democrat to hold a sure. seat in Alabama, left the Senate in 1997. So we're right at about 21 years. Yeah. But, you know, 30, 21. Just over 20. Yeah. In Trump world, that's close pretty enough. close. That's close pretty enough. close. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, Steve pretends to be at war with the media, which he calls the opposition party, yet he spent his time at the White House leaking false information to the media to make himself seem far more more important than he was. It is the only thing that he does well. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, there's so many little knives in this thing. Well, and and also for a, a you know, it, this is one of those takes one to know one. Yeah. And, you know, if, if anybody is a master manipulator of the media, it's Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he knows how to play us. Uh, he knows how to become the center of attention. Steve Bannon, same thing. I mean, Bannon, it, say what you will about him, uh, that he, you know, looks like he just... Dropped off the uh, you know the the drunk tank with Bukowski you yeah know, and, 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 and this, yeah you know, the, but he you know he knows how to work the media he certainly knows how to uh, deploy Breitbart oh god and one uh, one uh, this is the end of the of the statement uh, after he says it is the only thing that he does well uh, quote Steve was rarely in a one on one meeting with me and only pretends to have had influence to fool a few people with no access and no clue whom he helped write phony books. Last paragraph, we have many great Republican members of Congress and candidates who are very supportive of the Make America Great Again agenda. Like me, they love the United States of America and are helping to finally take our country back and build it up rather than simply seeking to burn it all down. One of the just absolutely fascinating images that came out of the day, a day replete with them, <laughs> was that Mitch McConnell's political arm, uh, his, his Twitter account for the for his political, his reelection, you know, sort of arm, team underscore Mitch on Twitter, they just released a, a short video tweet of McConnell at his desk, smiling. <laughs> this is, I mean, if anybody is the winner in this uh, battle between Bannon and and Trump, at least in Washington, at least in the in the, here in the swamp, the snow swamp as it is today, it's Mitch McConnell. Yeah, uh, you know McConnell. Uh, you know, the, the in terms of a you know the long game, which is the name of his latest memoir. Uh, this is the this is exactly what McConnell needed. He needed the guy who's proven to be his biggest antagonist just completely kneecapped. Yeah, look, I mean, there by the president. It, there, it, as much as we talk about the disruption of Washington establishment by the Trump administration, and and I think that there's clearly something to that, right? They have done a lot to disrupt the way that business gets done here in Washington D.C. There are just some things that aren't going to change. Right. A, I mean, who's more establishment than a four-star general running, right. running your White House? I mean, like that—that's the very definition of the establishment. Right. Trump himself is the establishment. I mean, like that—that—that's the thing. I mean, like a lot of people were, are not, you know, they—he is good at his rallies. He knows how to play to a crowd. Uh, this is a billionaire New York guy. You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like he's—he's he's been part of you know the political and commercial 
you know, worlds of New York and Washington for quite a while. Yeah. Now, granted, he hasn't been in Washington, uh, but even if he had lost the election, he would be here in that hotel yeah. on Pennsylvania Avenue. So there's, there's a lot for him to learn still. That that's my There's biggest thing for me to learn too. Sure, like, like who John Boehner is. <laughs> right, another, another Frederick great, Douglass another is. great piece of that uh, article. Uh, so, in the wake of this cuck fight, as the New York Daily News put it this morning on the cover of their paper, we got ourselves a cuck fight. Got ourselves a cuck fight. Uh, Steve Bannon has appeared on Breitbart Radio within the last hour. Uh, a couple of choice oh quotes from Bannon responding oh to this book excerpt from Michael Wolff. Bannon says, quote, nothing will ever come between us and President Trump and his agenda. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about us and the MAGA agenda and President Trump. It's we're as tight on this agenda as we've ever been. And again, remaining on message. Don't worry. There will be no daylight between the agenda, Donald Trump and the folks at Breitbart and this show and the website. Steve had nothing to do with me or my campaign. Yeah, right, 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 right. Steve, a staffer. Because another aspect of this is that a lot of folks believe that some Trump loyalists may walk out the door at Breitbart. And Breitbart really was growing in power, becoming a legitimate threat to Fox News, perhaps even exploring a TV venture. What now? What now? I mean, it is... You know, the, the some of the cracks, you know, we are seeing some of the cracks like sort of form yeah. uh, in, in, in the foundation here, uh, because the the note that Steve Bannon is not denying that he said some of these things like that, the behavior, you know, the behavior exhibited by a meeting with a Russian, you know, intelligence foil <laughs> at yeah. Trump Tower during the campaign was treasonous. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it, it's this is. It, it's hard to walk back. I mean, Trump has a history of just sort of walking past, you know, statements that he's made, incendiary statements and so forth. That will be a tough one to get past, uh, you know, the, the, what, what he said. And also, you know, the, the, it's not like there was any walking back from him or his staffers. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, for instance, which we have. Uh, we had so many choice clips to choose from, <laughs> didn't we, Jamie? Uh, th- that, uh, you know, she she was like full bore, like came to the, the, the press briefing yesterday loaded for bear. I think the president's statement is extremely clear what his position on Mr. Bannon is. Uh, it was pretty lengthy and pretty detailed, and there's not really much to clarify or to add. I mean, she's right. She does a lot of spinning from that podium, as as every press secretary does. But like, that's one hundred percent true. I, it was crystal clear how Donald Trump felt about Steve Bannon in that statement. I didn't walk away from that with any questions about how he felt about Steve Bannon. Maybe, maybe Jamie, to your to your point about Boehner, maybe when uh, Trump was asked about uh, Boehner, he thought he heard Bannon, <laughs> and he's just like, who? <laughs> Just because a little practice, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Boehner and and Trump have golf together. Uh, yeah. I mean, now, granted, that is not an exceptional statement because the the president golfs a lot. Sure. I mean, that that's saying like uh, Jason had a beer. You know, I mean, it's not an extraordinary thing. I mean, I I, I wouldn't be able to like <laughs> point to when somebody said like Jason had a beer or <laughs> there are a lot of hours on the clock right, where that right, could be true. Right. Or or Peter had an oyster. Yeah, you know? right, I mean, right. I mean, this is these are not like you know things where it's like oh yeah, I love that time, <laughs> like five times in the last day. <laughs> So he he may not remember the golfing with Boehner. I I I find that difficult to believe because um, 
of all of the the uh, of all of my favorite swamp creatures, John Boehner is definitely one of them. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, I mean, th- this is somebody who who understands and un- understood, you know, how Washington worked. He walked away right at the right time. <laughs> sure did. Um, I, uh, I I remember, um, you know, not to get into ancient history, but you know, like the the Boehner moment for me that I that will sort of remain crystallized in, in terms of his memory isn't something where, you know, he's standing up in his nice press shirt and so forth at one of the press conferences here. It was in Cleveland uh, at, at the Republican National Convention. He was in town. Uh, he was uh, not attending virtually anything, uh, any any events, at least that I had <laughs> been to. And I ran into him on the street. I was staying in this condo, you know, an Airbnb uh, down the street from the convention center, and he was walking. You know, he had he was with one of his friends. I can't remember the guy's name, uh, but it's one of his pals that was in the big. You know, he's he's featured in the Tim Alberta story from okay, Politico yeah, magazine yeah, yeah. a couple weeks ago. Um, and he's walking. He's got shorts on, uh, a golf shirt tucked in. You know, nice nicely. You know, tucked in. Uh, made up tennis shoes, hat, baseball cap, and you know, I said hello. Uh, I don't I don't know if he remembered me. I reintroduced myself. Uh, said, you know, I think we, you know, we really miss you, Mr. Speaker. And he says, and he just kind of nods, you know, and and says, you know, are you going to any of these events? You know, there, there, at, the, at that that day, there was a um, a Kasich event at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay, and and, and it was going to be Kasich's like kind of kiss off, you yeah, know, basically yeah, yeah, saying yeah. like thanks, and I'm not, I'm still not going to the convention. Uh, I said, are you going to the Kasich thing? And he just kind of looked at me and pur- <laughs> pursed his lips, and he's like, no. No, <laughs> and it was just this like moment of like, you know, saying like, I have Merlot to drink, yeah, golf to to swing, like yeah. cigarettes to smoke. Like, I, love I mean, that like, stuff. yeah, like that. I love that stuff in DC, man. I'm done. I'm retired. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's just this. It was this golden sort of moment, and you know, you have to admire some people who who actually know when to hang it up. Yeah, look, I mean, the the, the amount at which the DC thing has changed just just since John Boehner left. Not that he was holding it together or anything, but that how quickly it changed. I mean, that was two years ago? Right. Yeah, just a little over. It was like two years and two months. You know, I mean, he, like, he went in, you know, late last or late in 2015, just said, I'm done. Yeah. And, you know, it was a zippity-doo-dah kind of moment. And, you know, one one thing that it, it I'm not sure. I mean, like, Schumer seems to be having a little bit of fun. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he uh, McConnell, I don't know if it's fun so much, but this is certainly what he wants to do with his life. Yeah. Um, there there are the, those these sort of pursed lips moments where you can tell that like he he's calculating a win. He's like putting another, you know, check on the on the board uh for for himself. But very few people, like at least in this administration, you know, is the time the the Trump era, if you will, seem to be having very much fun. That's a really interesting way to put it. Because, like, there are people who live for these moments. Mitch McConnell, I think, is one of them. Uh, yeah, I I, I, to- I totally see what you're saying. Like, nobody's having any fun. It's all just pure chaos. I'll tell you who's not having fun. By the way, Maggie Haberman tweeting last night, as of next week, West Wing staffers have been told they cannot use personal cell phones anymore. <laughs> they were told this early in the term, but it's now being enforced with security concerns being cited. Like Or, or, Robert, Mu- or Robert Mueller concerns, perhaps. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, because those, I mean, I and I actually, I'm not exactly sure how that all goes. But I mean, if they're if you have a wiretap, I mean, like you can you can tap personal lines. I, I guess believe, so, right? You know, so, like, you can't use personal cell phones at the White House or at all. I it's not clear. Not clear. That that would seem to be a um, 14 month late 
<laughs> kind, kind, of, kind of protocol. Um, Seems about right. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, remember remember when, I mean, granted, this was like an, a, an eternity ago. Yeah. Remember when Obama took office and there was this like, oh my God, he wants to keep his own Blackberry. Yeah, yes. <laughs> like, he can't do that. Presidents do that. have to give them back. Right. I mean, and this is the early years of smartphones. I mean, Blackberries were basically just like for mobile email at that point. It, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, it, it, what, you know, this is the year before Candy Crush, right? I mean, right, 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 so, right, right. So, but it was this big deal, and it's like, how are we going to make sure that things are secure and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it seems like telecommunications <laughs> were a lot more secure at, at that point uh, than, than they are now. Uh, and now we just have like, oh, by the way, you're in the most uh, important security situation in the entire world. Uh Please don't use your your personal phone. <laughs> right, right. Like in the you know in the in the situation room, for instance. Please, no personal cell phone yeah, use. Please stop tweeting, Mister right. President, <laughs> while you're in the sit room. So, oh boy. Uh, so, where do we we what are we looking at for the rest of this week? I mean, like again, we're we're early Thursday morning. Uh, the Senate. Again, they they had their little bed check vote. I mean, they you, you have to reel things. You have to reel senators in and have a little vote. You know, they they confirmed yesterday, like the deputy secretary of undersecretaries or something at the Defense Department. Uh, Very prestigious <laughs> title here in Washington D.C. Um, you know, but but they you know they have to have a vote in order to get people in the, yeah. the House. You know, like gaveled in like a pro forma session. I think it was Patrick McHenry, uh, who was the chief deputy whip, Republican from North Carolina. It was just like a quick gavel. You know, say the pledge, say the prayer, boom. Adios, muchachos. Yeah. Uh, and the Senate came in, but they had some swearing in to do, and then they, you know, they had uh, this vote. I think it was an eighty-one to seven vote to confirm this guy, John Rood or Jim Rood. Uh, name the name is escaping me. No offense to somebody who probably has a very important job. <laughs> um, and then, you know, and we we were thinking that they might have a little bit more business to take care of, but like right away they were just like, you know what? It's snowing. We're out of here. Yeah. Goodbye. See ya. Um, and so we're we're done until Monday. The House actually was supposed to be in in person, not just in pro formas this week, but decided, you know, late last week. I don't think we need to be there. Yeah. There's, there's nothing else to do. What like, difference is it? We've made? passed a tax bill. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. what, like what's what else is left to, to, to do? We've got our one thing done per <laughs> right. year. We're good until like December of this year, right? You and you know, for all in. for all of the belly aching that uh, Senate Republicans make about you know like the, the fact that Democrats are slow walking nominees for the administration and making them consume several hours at a time and so forth to to consider these folks, there's nothing else to do. I mean, right. th- there, there's there's nothing there's because you have to meet every three days. I mean, you you have to be, make sure that the the lights are still on, you know, and like that the place doesn't like just cobweb up. Right. And so there's there's not a big agenda. I mean, they keep on talking about like infrastructure. Maybe we're going to do a trillion dollar infrastructure, you know, plan. Yeah. Or things like that. But uh, you know, and the, and the there's I guess. At this point, we have a January nineteenth funding deadline. Right. So, I mean, they talked about that a little bit yesterday. Um, the, the, the speed that we went from Donald Trump on New Year's Eve at his big gal at Mar-a-Lago, where he says we got a lot of big things in two thousand eighteen, we're going to jump right into getting our infrastructure stuff uh, passed and implemented. The, the speed that we went from that to I'm now going to host a fantasy award show against <laughs> all of the journalists who I feel have wronged me. Was about thirty six hours, 
And also, I, I so I'm uh, uh, being a member of the fake media myself. Sure. I, I, I am, uh, you know, not keeping up with real news like that. Right. right, uh, right. Where is this going to happen? Is this going to happen from the White House? Is this going to be like, are they are they going to move aside the the White House Christmas tree and then move in like the awards dais for this? I can't. Is, wait Mel- to is Melania see. going to present the awards? <laughs> like to to a la Vanna White, just right, like they're know. handing it out. Here, here's what he wrote uh, in his tweet. It's very, very vague. He wrote, I will be announcing, all caps, the most dishonest and corrupt media awards of the year on Monday at 5 o'clock. Spells out o'clock. Subjects will cover dishonesty and bad reporting in various categories from the fake news media. Stay tuned. So I know that I'm being a a, a stickler here, but if he says Monday at 5 o'clock, I assume he means this coming Monday I guess he means 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. He doesn't say a.m. or p.m., but he just says 5 o'clock. The o'clock is a great example of how the 280 characters on Twitter are not necessary. God, thank you. <laughs> like, do you really need to spell out o'clock? If you've got room to spell right. out o-clock, <laughs> you've got too many characters. Maybe that's where the origin of Kofeve is. He <laughs> was trying to spell out o'clock. O'clock. I see it. Is it right? You I know, can see I it. mean, like you're on your phone, you know, you're tapping away. <laughs> Which, by the way, he still, I mean, he hasn't talked about it recently, but like never admitted that that was just a spelling error or a mistake. Right. Like they said, the there are no day, mistakes. Like, oh, he, that meant, that there meant are no something. mistakes. That meant something. Everything is completely intentional. Good luck trying to figure out what it means. So is the is the Bill Press show is are they up for any dishonest media, media awards? Oh gosh, I hope so. Uh, Wait, what's the what would be the acronym for that? The most corrupt and dishonest. What what is it? T M D T M D C M A C M A O T Y. Former liberal CNN MSNBC fake news host Bill Press. There he is. Oh, there we go. You you were. Yeah, Sean Hannity was on. Hannity should host those awards. Hannity should a hundred percent host those awards with Tommy Tammy Lauren. Yeah, that's their name. Tammy Lauren. T M D C M A O T Y. The Tim Gottadies. Tim Gottadies got a real ring to it. Uh, what we we need we need a symbol for these. I think, like the there, there's got to be there's got to be some sort of, you know, like a I don't know, like like a, the Moon Man for MTV right. or the Oscar or like a, or like a manatee for anything <laughs> in Florida or something like that. Because like there are manatees by, by Mar-a-Lago, right? Sure. Wouldn't that be great if the award ceremony was at Mar-a-Lago? Was it Mar-a-Lago and like and you and you got like a golden manatee. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, it sounds far fetched, and yet I would one hundred percent believe it. If I mean, manatees sound like they're a fake animal, right? I mean, totally. It, it, I mean, they're the cows of the sea. Come yeah, on, like yeah. th- that's a fake. I think we've got a symbol. We, we've got the manatees, <laughs> the gold manatee, right? And then when the award, when after the music plays, yeah. there's like a there's a there's a moment where you hear like the manatee go like. That, like and, that, and that's the that that's your that's when you know you've won one of the T M D C M A O T Ys. Yes, <laughs> the president really is very good at branding. The He's golden really this. the golden layered or the golden gilted manatee. <laughs> Dishonest press awards. <laughs> you learned a lot of stuff on this show. Yes, you including do, you, what a manatee sounds like. Apparently, right. I had no Ooh. idea. I had no idea. <laughs> that's what. It, no that's, idea. A, that's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> oh man, they're gentle creatures. <laughs> All right, coming up in the next part of the hour, we have Brandon Weatherby, uh, the managing editor of Brightest Young Things and the author of The Donald, How Trump Turned Presidential Politics into Pro Wrestling. He will provide us with a little bit of insight 
uh, from his perspective on why Donald Trump behaves the way he does. Curious, disgusted would probably certainly fit when you uh, make such outrageous claims and completely false claims against the president. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show. I am Jason Dick. I'm the managing editor for Leadership and Enterprise at Roll Call. That's quite a mouthful. But wait till you uh, hear all the different titles and podcasts of our guest in studio. (laughs) (laughs) Brightest Young Things managing editor, Brandon Weatherby, who's joining Peter and I in the studio. Oh, and Bill Press, he's... Where did we decide? I think uh, that Carol got into a pickup truck... Uh, strapped a uh, an inner tube onto the back trailer hitch uh, like Peter's dad did in Charleston when and he was a young man. And uh, Bill is sledding around in a pickup truck, uh, Capitol Hill right now. Don't because, slam on the brakes too hard. Right, you'll Carol, just whip right listening. past. If you're listening, just please be careful. He's on his way to the snowball fight at Dupont Circle later. Yeah, that's there, right. There we go. Pop up, <laughs> pop up snowball fight. <laughs> Uh, as I mentioned, Brandon Weatherby is joining us. Brandon, welcome to the Bill Press Show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I might also mention that Brandon is uh, has like twenty five podcasts. No, that uh, sounds bad. <laughs> that sound, does sound bad. <laughs> sounds like it, sounds like he has a problem. I have a well paying job that I love, and I use my college degree. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make that very clear. I'm qualified to do what I do. <laughs> I also might mention that you can follow Brandon on Twitter at. YMTE, which is one of his podcasts. Oh, you need them, everybody. Yeah. And it's actually quite good. And I'm not just saying that just because I've occasionally been to a It's been going for 10 years. <laughs> yes. It's been going for Since 10 Since Bush was in office. Yes. Like, it's, it's, you're in your third president right now. Yeah. Uh, more important for this show, though, you're also the host of a podcast called Great American Bash. That is correct. In which you talk about wrestling and politics. We talk about bit. the intersections of presidential politics and professional wrestling. And I would just like to welcome... Thank you for having me, and uh, the fact that we have three bearded white men in a studio yes. with glasses. <laughs> Jamie is a fourth because he's got. I mean, he may just glasses, just, for, he may but, have just forgotten to shave. <laughs> and I just want to wish everybody a happy Wrestle Kingdom twelve. That means nothing to the two people in this room, but lots of things to lots of bearded people with glasses on the internet right now. Highly educated white men with glasses. Tall. We're all tall too. I'm six yeah. two. I'm six. You know, that was the other thing about that Mike Wolf article is that apparently Donald Trump does not like men with beards. No, not at all. Uh, in fact, he was very reluctant to have John Bolton come to the White House because, because of the mustache. Of the mustache, like, and, and also, like, I, I might mention because you know it's it's early in the morning and I'm and I'm feeling uh, kind of frisky, I guess. Uh, that uh, yeah. the right. <laughs> <laughs> happy happy days uh, uh, language there. Um, the the mnemonic memory device that I used to remember how to spell Bolton's name was that John Bolton's mustache weighs a ton. T O L. Oh wow. B O L T O N. That's awesome. And and that was different than Josh Bolton, who right. was Bush's last chief of staff. T E N. I just think I'm Michael Bolton. Oh, yeah. nice. Talk about hair. Talk about a ton of talent. Yeah. So no, I mean the, the it's not surprising about Trump like not liking the beards. I mean he he's uh, you know he grew up in New York like the Yankees they don't allow facial hair. Well actually they allow mustaches. But there's like, a lot they, of things know, both the Yankees right. and the Donald have in common with about don't allowing things and they're not all good. No, it's true <laughs> they they don't allow uh, competence in the front office in some cases. <laughs> 
Um, they they're do family-run like, businesses. Family-run businesses. They they're great at branding. Their uh, branding is New York, even though they're based out of Florida for the majority of the year. <laughs> right in Tampa. Now now. It, Diverting a little bit away from presidential politics into sports, <laughs> I've, I've been wondering about this. Derek Jeter, yes. I mean, you know, s- small, you know, like the face of the Miami Marlins now, but not not the money necessarily, but but mm-hmm. the face. I mean, he has he has a stake in it. Uh, is this kind of like potentially fracture? You think some of that New York, you know, like the 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 Yankee Kingdom, like that is, is Jeter going to be pulling away, or is Jeter going to be going to go down with the the, sh- the good ship Miami? One Marlins? of the first things he did was give away their entire future to the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. he's a plant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if and then and then once that guy's past his prime, they'll take him back on, and then all the former <laughs> New Yorkers that live there in their forties, fifties, and sixties will retire to Florida and, and watch out these old players relive their glory days. <laughs> I I love it's that brilliant. now that now that Derek <laughs> Jeter has given away the marquee player for the Marlins and the fan fa- some of the fan favorites and essentially broken the spirit of Marlins fans. His next big plan is I'm going to raise ticket prices. <laughs> yes, like literally, brilliant. he's going to increase ticket revenue with the plan that he's calling Operation Wolverine. Like Deadspin has a whole write up on this. So Hugh Jackman's going to play right field now. Yes, Hugh Jackman's <laughs> done. He only wants to do musicals anymore. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Logan was great. He went out on the top. I get right. it. He died. And he died. Uh, Spoiler. <laughs> I didn't say Wolverine died. I just said Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Uh, 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 one of the many stars we lost in 2017. <laughs> play the memorial Don't reel. You ever, play the memorial Don't you reel. Ever say that about a wonderful Australian man. <laughs> Brandon, let's let's talk about this. When when we were uh, just touching base yesterday, like you know that yes, oh, the yeah. show would go on uh, d- despite the uh, one and a half inches of snow, which uh, you're you're you probably like got up early just so you could like you know bathe in, in it uh, as a Chicago native. <laughs> uh, me and CM Punk were shoveling snow this morning. That's a wrestling reference for you. <laughs> for for us, what is there a, is there a term for people who are who are not not up on wrestling? In, healthy, in yeah, healthy, normal, well-adjusted <laughs> yeah. people. <laughs> People uh, that don't care about politics. People that, there we go. <laughs> Novices. Um, <laughs> what, um, you, we, you know, we basically touched base. I said, like, we're obviously going to have a lot mm-hmm. to talk about, you know, the trump and feud. And you you were excited. I mean, like, you texted before I think I was even done with my own text. Uh, you, you probably saw the little ellips, mm-hmm. ellipsis that, you know, shows up in the, in, in the text and things like, good, we disagree already. Yes. So let's talk about this. This is, uh, you know, you're, you you do come at this, you know, from a perspective that I, perspective that I love, which is is framing Donald Trump's not just his political life, but his life life yeah. in terms of wrestling. And mm-hmm. you said that this isn't a theoretical construct. He is in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's in the WWE Hall of Fame, which he, is not a brick and mortar space. It's just a made up thing that they had for marketing purposes. It's brilliant. Do they but, actually um, not have a Hall of Fame you can visit. They don't no, have their Cooper's it's not town. even a broom closet in Stamford or wherever it's based or whatever. <laughs> number one, do not make fun of Titan Tower. Lots of horrible <laughs> people did horrible things there. Number one, number two, <laughs> Titan Tower or Trump Tower. Titan Tower is the name and the base of the WWE in Connecticut. There we oh go. really? Yeah, it's called Titan Tower. Which is awesome. Of course it is. It's like Trump because, Tower. Because people Titan eat their children Tower. there, apparently. Like Don't the, you... Like the Titans, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to get sued by Vince the same way Donald's going to sue Bannon, which is not They've really. They've already sent him a cease and desist I letter. I know. In, in like, you can't sue the president, though. Between like, me going to sleep and me getting here today, that's right. already happened. It's, it's a fantastic time. <laughs> this is uh, not a new idea whatsoever. Trump has been involved with wrestling um, not hypothetically, actually involved in the business side since the 80s. And and has known McMahon since the 70s. Yeah, this is not a new thing whatsoever. Both men are essentially trying to uh, 
to get the admiration and the wealth that they thought their fathers deserved. It's never going to happen. And now we're here in this world in 2018 where Vince is restarting the XFL and Donald is the president because football and wrestling and politics all belong in the same wonderful, wonderful basket of corruption and sadness and CTE. (laughs) Lots of crossover. Donald played uh, football. Donald was a good high school football player. I don't think we need to. We shouldn't. Tight end. We should not rule out the fact that the linemen, when there wasn't thick helmets, might actually have some CTE from those days. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I would guess. So, I mean, but specifically what you were saying that I, I'm guessing that what, what you, we disagreed about is that this is a feud. Uh, as, as Jamie st- stated earlier in, in the hour, Bannon's already gone on Breitbart Radio saying there's no daylight between the president and I and the, and the agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, like, is this is this going to blow over? Is this just like sort of a sideshow? Oh, I think it's definitely like, blow over. Not it. talking about the book or about nuclear winter or whatever? Everything is a sideshow. Um, the idea of that nuclear winter is going to happen is also a sideshow. There's a reason he tweeted about Huma in the same 48-hour period. It just isn't We taken. forgot about that, too. Yeah, oh, my right. God. <laughs> the, the, right. the issue with all of this is... Donald right now doesn't have a WCW. Now, for the wrestling people, they know what I'm talking about. But for the normal people, it's very, very simple. Ted Turner had a television network, and on that television network was WCW, World Class Wrestling. That was the main competitor for the WWE. That allowed them to buy out all these older contracts and start their own thing and have an actual feud that was actually interesting because you didn't know at the end of the day who was going to win. Would Ted Turner's money last? Would Donald Trump's money, or sorry, would Vince McMahon's money last? (laughs) It was actually interesting for many years. And it wasn't so much that you thought that there was going to be actually physical violence because that's not what puts people in the seats. What was interesting about it was to see. Are they going to exist in a few years? And that's why the Hillary-Donald feud was perfect and could not be recreated right now. The Donald won. The WWE won. Who is there to push back against? There's no one. So all he's trying to do is figure out his next feud. It's probably going to be Elizabeth Warren. It's not really that good because she doesn't know how to speak wrestler. She, <laughs> she doesn't, and this is a shame. It's not. North Korea is pretty close, and they also have Dennis Rodman on their side, who was a member of the NWO in WCW, oh, that's right. I might add. Yes. Absolutely. And a, and a fine actor as well. Bannon, it, it, Bannon is stupid. It's like a it's like a Kevin Nash Scott Hall feud within NWO. And for normal people, you're fighting your teammate, and it's pointless. And you know, at the end of the day, they want the same things achieved. And this is being money, fame, and adoration. You know, just to drive that that point home, when you look at guys during the primary, like uh, Marco Rubio, that tried to talk professional mm-hmm. wrestling, where he tried to get up and essentially say that Trump had a small penis. Yeah, and like that's not his shtick. Right, but it doesn't need to be your shtick. You right, right, right. That's right, the thing right. that no one has really understood, though. Just be yourself. Yeah. Every the reason why any wrestling gimmick works, the reason why Trump works so well, is because at the end of the day, he's the Donald. He's always the Donald. You know, he's authentic. You could be an authentic liar, but you're still authentic. And the, the, no one has that, especially in politics. It's incredibly difficult to say, "Hey, be yourself," and be able to say mean things that are truthful. Or be able to say nice things that are truthful that make people impassioned. One of the things that you you said, I remember this like toward the end of the campaign last year, because uh, actually Brandon and I spent a decent amount of time at both conventions, mm-hmm. uh, and w- and we will get to one of the fascinating venues for the Republican Oppo uh, in in Philadelphia in in a moment. Um, was that you felt that what was what was missing was somebody like Biden mm-hmm. who would just say, "What the hell, man?" Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Like, you don't really need much else. You just, just sort of say, like, really? What the hell? The thing that Clinton never understood, the thing that most people never understood during the campaign was give him enough rope. No one gave him enough rope. Everyone thought that, like, are you, we don't need to repeat the horrible things he's saying. Just say, hey, 
Uh, name one amendment. Go. He couldn't do that. Like, no one had done that. No one still has done that. It's not hard to stump the man. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, well, they don't. no one cares about that, or that's mean. How, number one, how would that be mean? Number two, well, people do care about that thing. Find one thing that affects them that's in the Constitution and ask him about it. I want someone, you know what, I want someone to go to him next month and say, Mr. President, spell February. Like, can you spell the month February? <laughs> See, I wouldn't do that because I think that's the same gotcha question, and a lot of people would be like, oh, I sympathize. I can't spell February. Why do I need to spell February? I have a phone. That doesn't affect me whatsoever. Right, fair point. <laughs> spell or, Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Or, to your point, I mean, the, the, and I was sort of fascinated that the, the the tax bill, you know, which it was it was quite obvious that it wasn't just the president who didn't really know very many of the details. It was members of Congress uh, you know, Matt Fuller, uh, HuffPo uh, leadership reporter, went around on the day of the vote in the House and just asked members of Congress, "What's the top tax bracket?" <laughs> and he could he couldn't get people like t- Republicans to name like that that it was going to be thirty seven percent. Yeah, but most I mean, regular people don't know that either. Right. That's mm-hmm. why the question of how much does a gallon of milk cost actually is a good question to ask somebody because most people do know how much a gallon. I wouldn't know. I only shop at Whole Foods because I'm a coastal elite. <laughs> <laughs> do you even drink milk? Are, 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 are I do, actually. Do yeah. you? Uh, I, I, I eat a lot of cheese. That, that doesn't count. count. No, that does not count. That does not count Still at all. Still dairy intake. It's I think dairy, that was dairy, okay. It's dairy. I, I ate yogurt in the morning. like But nothing in your coffee? You don't eat cereal? No, no. Black black coffee. Like, like Agent Cooper, your favorite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like Black is the darkest midnight. So That's we're going to just talk black. about season three of Twin Peaks because I'm also down to do that. <laughs> Best piece of art in 2017. So uh, I, I'm, I must confess, as I told you, I'm, uh, I'm subjecting my 15-year-old stepson to Twin Peaks seasons one and two right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've only seen it in incredibly creepy and strange places in the world. Uh, when I was teaching on the Navajo Reservation in the middle of nowhere, uh, in 1997 I watched Twin Peaks, uh, and then a couple of years later I was in West Virginia, central West Virginia, in this crazy place, uh, Doddridge County. Uh, I was living in a... Uh, in, a, in an, an abandoned mansion that was being rented out by the neighbor next door, uh, and he was also dabbled in monuments, otherwise known as gravestones, which littered the entire y- side yard. And that's what that's that's the, cool. That that that's when I watched the for for the second time. So now I'm watching it for the third time with with my wife. But you're not currently in the season three. Yet. I am not in season three yet. You know one of the three people that Agent Cooper, that sorry, that Kyle McLaughlin plays, right? Uh, well, Dougie Jones. Dougie Jones. Yeah, it's a big day for Dougie Jones. Oh wow! Yes. Yeah. So I, I I must mention too that the, the uh, our uh, roll call our, our Senate reporter uh, Niels Lesniewski he wanted to write sort of a pageantry story you know about this we talked about a little bit earlier Peter and I did about how the fact that this is a fairly rare sight to have three vice presidents on the Senate floor at the same time uh, missing from that uh, was another part of Niels' story. Uh, that uh, he, and, he and I worked on is that Sherrod Brown, who is a Democratic senator from Ohio, possible presidential contender, and probably one of those guys who can actually say, what the hell, in, in his uh, raspy voice uh, and, and sort of shock of, of curly hair. Uh, he he brought along a photograph of of Doug Jones, the relief pitcher, who used to be nice. an in, Indians uh, relief pitcher, and was uh, had until Levon Hernandez, the slowest changeup in baseball, uh, <laughs> and and and, curve, and curveballs, f- went to five All Star 
you know teams. I mean, he he was he was not a not a chump. I mean, he was a journeyman, but he was he was not a not a mope. Uh, anyway, he Brown, you know, showed Doug Jones, the new senator from <laughs> Alabama, this photo and had a bet with another senator that that Doug Jones would recognize Doug Jones. So there's there are three Doug Jones, much like there were three Agent Coopers. Exactly. Uh, in, 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 in season three of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Uh, he knew it uh, as if not to be left out of the sports equation. Chuck Schumer, in his leadership remarks, when he was welcoming Doug Jones and Tina Smith, his new colleagues, uh, he congratulated not just Tina Smith and Doug Jones, but the whole states of Alabama and Minnesota, because one, Alabama beat Clemson uh, in Roll the Sugar Bowl <laughs> Roll damn er, er, earlier, and, uh, and the, the Vikings, the Minnesota Vikings, the professional football team in Minnesota. Where they uh, pay the athletes. Where they pay the <laughs> That's, athletes. Right. That's right. <laughs> because or at it's least better. They pay, or at least they pay the athletes. With tax on like, the table. tax, yeah, yeah. like on, with money on the table, uh, <laughs> they uh, secured the second seed in the NFL playoffs. Somehow, some way, Chuck Schumer was able to restrain himself and not mention the, that the Bills had oh had secured a playoff spot. So the first time since 1999, it was yeah, the longest drop upstate. Play- oh, he does his last really good, like in 2016. He had an, uh, a. I mean, he he was coasting to victory regardless in 2016. His his ad in in upstate New York featured Jim Kelly and a host of people at a Bills tailgater saying, "Who's your favorite Buffalo Bill?" And people were saying, "Oh, oh, you know, Bruce Smith, uh, blah, blah blah." And nobody said OJ. Uh, Jim Kelly says Chuck Schumer and says like Chuck was instrumental in keeping the Bills in Buffalo. Got a new owner. Uh, he's my favorite Buffalo Bill. Uh, you know what Jim Kelly did before he played for the Bills? He uh, played in the USFL. Yeah, which was owned or not owned by. I'm sorry. The the uh, one of the teams was partially owned by. Do you know who? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. It all comes oh, wow. back to Look this. Look at what we did there. And also, Trump tried to buy the Bills at one point. Trump tried to buy every team. Did he try to buy the Knicks too? Uh, not to my knowledge, because I don't think he likes certain sports played by a majority of a certain race. So uh, I'm yes. not going to say <laughs> yes Very good on take. that one. Good, um, yeah. But I do Smart. know. That one of the only reasons why they didn't get Don Shula to coach in the USFL is because uh, Trump wouldn't give up a condo in Trump Tower. Whoa. They had Don Shula. That being said, one of Donald Trump's greatest contracts of all time, this is not a joke, this is all credit to Donald Trump, he he signed, he gave Lawrence Taylor a signing bonus to sign with the USFL and then got that bonus (laughs) refunded by the New York Giants. And then, so Lawrence Taylor got paid twice to play once. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is brilliant for Lawrence Taylor and Donald Trump, and there's like that's super impressive. And I, th- you have to give respect to Donald Trump for that. Oh, sure. I, I, I actually there's and also Lawrence Taylor headline WrestleMania. That's not a fake. That's not, <laughs> it's not a fake thing. By the way, here's a tweet. Here's a tweet from October third, two thousand fourteen, from Donald Trump. Even though I refused to pay a ridiculous price for the Buffalo Bills, I would have produced a winner. Now that won't happen. There's always a tweet. There's always, <laughs> There's always a tweet. A tweet. There's By the way, can we talk about the halftime performance at the college football championship next week? Yes. Kendrick Lamar mm-hmm. will be the halftime uh, performer. Uh, Kendrick Lamar, uh, as as uh, people may uh, recall, is uh, an African-American man. Yeah. Uh, he is, uh, is a fairly liberal politically man. He's a rap artist. And it is uh, – I'm, I'm guessing that he's going to be taking a knee. 
whatever. I hope he is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Trump is going to be Trump's there. Trump's going to be there. Yeah, Trump is whatever, going yeah, hold to on, be there. Hold on. Yeah. But who cares? Seriously, how is this any... Like, I don't find this interesting whatsoever. Here's why I apologize for, to all of you <laughs> wonderful people willing to bring up this topic whatsoever. Kendrick Lamar, like, Kendrick Lamar is on rec- literal records saying what he already believes, so there's not going to be anything new or controversial. But, it'd be, it'd but Trump hasn't seen it. Yeah, like, Trump's going to see this. Come on. He's going to walk out in a state of all protest. Right, if that, number one. Number two, those states are a lock for him for 2020 and 2024. Three terms. I'm calling it now. Uh, and number <laughs> Three, what's the most interesting about Kendrick Lamar is Kendrick Lamar performed on the last album cycle in the White House for the Obamas. And in those songs, the songs that were nominated for Grammys, not that Grammys matter because there's a bunch of old white dudes, but I'm just saying, like, those are awards that people seem to care about. Sold a lot of records. He's on a lot of lists, whatever. Uh, There's there's multiple allusions uh, to Clinton and Lewinsky. That's what's interesting to me. During the Clinton campaign, Kendrick Lamar is performing in the White House, and he's saying how he feels like Clinton. That's interesting. <laughs> By the way, can we just can we just state too that like in 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 lost in the morass of yesterday of the you know the the Bannon what news a word and so, yeah, yeah. The, the, this was the fact that the Clinton's house caught on fire <laughs> and that yeah. was not even like the top one of the top five stories of yesterday that the that a former right. president and a former first lady former secretary of state presidential can, candidate. Their house caught on fire. This isn't like Jason Dick's pipe burst at his house. Who cares about that? That did happen last night, and I'm really not happy about it. Cause it the- did you lose anything? No, no. I mean, I probably needed to throw away that towel anyway. There you go. <laughs> but, you know, I don't like plumbers. I've had to deal with a lot of plumbers lately. So did Nixon. Why would you- Nixon had to deal with plumbers, too. Wait, you why are <laughs> only you like plumbers? I, I just, I mean, I just spend an inordinate amount of time and money with them, it seems. So. They help you do things you can't do. <laughs> no, it's great, but so do dentists, and I don't like, you know, like, I, I don't I don't like spending any more time with the dentist than I need to. Look, on behalf of the Bill Press Show, I'd like to apologize to plumbers yeah. and dentists everywhere. <laughs> Those are good people. <laughs> Those aren't easy it's, it's, jobs. It's one of the plumbing and plumbing and pipe fitters local union, like, a sponsor of the Bill Press Show. Are like, you anti-union? No, I'm not anti-union. Pro-anti-dentistry. Believe me, I can't, I can't, I, I can't fix these things myself it's just like they're just it just seems like i can't i i just want them to fix it like for all time by the way, I'm really smart because if you look at Fox News right now, the current story is Will oh, Warren wow. So if you want to check your Twitter feeds in three minutes to see if Pocahontas makes an appearance, yeah. it's not the worst <laughs> possible time. Might might happen. So uh, real quickly, let, let's talk a little bit about. I mean, you, you oh, talked yeah, I about wrote a the, book. Yeah, you wrote a book about this. Uh, it ca- came out last year during yeah. the campaign, uh, in which you you know you trace Donald Trump's involvement with wrestling. Yeah. You trace how he approaches like. You know, vanquishing opponents, if mm-hmm. you will, uh, in a both a fake and real manner, mm-hmm. um, and also the this you, you mentioned the this WCW WWE feud. Mm-hmm. Let's talk in Philadelphia at the Democratic yes. convention. Where did the Republicans set up oh, their God. alternative? You know, sort of uh, talking point. Central. So what? the actual name is the 2300 Arena, but it's more famous, you know, as the home of ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, which was bought out by the WWF, then WWF. Um, they were the guys that did a lot of chair shots and a lot of barbed wire matches and a lot of ladder stuff. Super, super dangerous stuff. Lots of blood that everyone loved. Occasionally you're hearing ch- people chanting, EC Dubs, still, because certain they wrestling fans blood. are bad people. You should they never want blood. want blood. Everyone should be safe. It's all about the stories. Anyways, um, the our, the Republicans held their counter programming literally in the home of Extreme Championship Wrestling. They had a beautiful. they had a a, a boxing ring set up. I, uh, Jason would know the difference between a boxing ring and a wrestling ring because there's different ropes and there are different uh, tightness of the ropes. Anyways, um, they they had sold merchandise of, of anti Hillary merchandise, which I thought was hilarious at the time. And in retrospect, I wish I took more for eBay purposes. <laughs> 
And um, I was convinced that this is a party or an organization that is so out of whack with reality that they have absolutely no chance in winning. And I wasn't cogn- I wasn't even opening my eyes to what I was writing myself and who I was talking to, not realizing like, oh, no, this is a really, really good idea because angry people like symbolism. Yeah. And there's absolutely no reason both sides can't use that symbolism. And um, everything that I learned at both conventions that I was so happy to be with, with you at that these conventions was wrong. <laughs> my eyes didn't lie to me, but my right. conclusions were 100% incorrect. I thought a one-third filled, half-filled arena in Cleveland meant that no one would show up. I thought that a packed arena in Philadelphia full of internal conflict means everyone's going to get together because they all want the same future. Boy, was I wrong. Yeah. I mean, we it, a lot of people did not see that coming uh, it, at all. However, like you, you did call that this has been like that that people have not been able to understand mm-hmm. Trump. They have not been able to understand how he approaches conflict mm-hmm. and they are constantly just befuddled by it. Yeah, most 71-year-olds don't change. So you, you lock in certain behaviors by the time you're 40. Those are your behaviors until you die. Right. So uh, there has yet to be one thing that's happened in the last uh, 14 months that's been surprising to me. Hoy. Uh, what, what, so... On your podcast, yes. on, on on you meet them everybody, which you and you can follow Brandon at YMTE. What uh, what are some topics you're going to be talking about? Are you going to keep keep with politics? I mean, I know it's it is it is a broader show. Than no, that. It's absolutely not. A, it's not, not a political show, but, uh, there, but there's a little <laughs> bit more stuff. Uh, going tomorrow on. night, I'll be talking to uh, an artist, uh, Dana Meyer. Uh, she does a lot of stuff about. Um, beautiful relationship stuff and about neuroses. Your, your classic, really talented graphic artist that clearly does not make enough money to support herself full-time. <laughs> I, doing I, might, this. I might add that you are taping this at the Wonderland Ballroom. At the Wonderland Ballroom. Columbia Heights. Um, a place that uh, I want to say Monica Lewinsky frequented, and if you read the city paper all about that, that ties it back to Donald Trump. And Jake Tapper. And Jake Tapper. One of the president's antagonists. <laughs> Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. In thank you for having today. me. Trudging through the snow, which you would laugh at in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon Weatherby is the managing editor of Bryce Young Things. He's the author of The Donald. Check it out. And follow him on Twitter at YMTE. This is Jason Dick subbing in for Bill Press. I'll be back with Peter Ogburn this and Bridget Bowman. This is the Bill Enjoy. Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Welcome back to the Bill Press Show. I'm Jason Dick, Managing Editor for Leadership and Enterprise at Roll Call. I'm subbing for Bill. Uh, Bill has moved on from uh, the uh, pickup truck, uh, inner tube, sort of snow skiing through the through Capitol Hill, and I believe that he is ice skating on the Potomac River as we speak. 
Uh, so they had to call me in. I'm joined <laughs> by Peter Hogburn here in the studio and Bridget Bowman, our senior politics reporter at Roll Call. Bridget, welcome to the Bill Press Show. Thank you. Good to be here. It's great to, to be here. Uh, the, the, it is a chilly and snowy day on the in Washington, D.C., but Bridget, being from Buffalo, <laughs> just scoffs scoffs just at this snow dusting. like she she didn't even she didn't even have to ask brandon said like i just wanted to make sure you guys aren't going to cancel the show bridget didn't even didn't even like just sort of i'll be there i, like, I feel particularly on, you know? foolish because i sent bridget an email this morning i was like see in a little while be safe in the snow and like what snow <laughs> like, is there snow a, outside you got an upstate new yorker and a mainer in the studio yeah right yeah. <laughs> right yeah you're, you're a good company in, in weather like this there you go also well, i have to say Go Bills. Yeah, there, oh, there, you, there go. you go. Yeah, that's right. We, we we actually did talk a little bit about the the bills. We talked about Neil's story. Oh, nice. uh, how, how Schumer was able to like not mention the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Brandon, who is a a, a a student of of Donald Trump and his mm-hmm. sports and fake sports uh, affiliations, uh, you know, mentioned also that the the Bills, you know, were were a, f- a focal point of of Trump. Peter dug up a, a tweet, as Brandon says. There's always a tweet. There's always a tweet. <laughs> There's always a tweet. There's always a tweet. Uh, uh, about uh, when he was not able to buy the bills, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, th- th- this is this is kind of like a George W. Bush thing. If George W. Bush would have become the baseball commissioner, we wouldn't have had a Bush presidency. Yeah. <laughs> if 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 Trump would have become the owner of the bills, perhaps perhaps he would have moved them to Mar-a-Lago, uh, <laughs> but uh, th- but we wouldn't have had a Trump presidency. Uh, p- things alternative uh, histories like so, like alternative facts. <laughs> uh, Bridget, uh, I I might mention also for our uh, for our listeners that you can follow. Bridget at Bridget B H C, uh, and that's uh, Holy Cross, where, yes. where you went to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, love to see the loyalty to uh, Buffalo and and universities. Bridget, let's talk a little bit about what you've been writing. You um, you and I were we we talked a little bit uh, in the fall about what what could make Alabama a competitive race, and we and we were sort of like well in this far fetched reality where there's a competitive race. I mean, like the, the Doug Jones is about as good a candidate as as Democrats ever could have hoped for. I mean, mm-hmm. like in 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 wide swaths of the South and in the Midwest, we're seeing now too. Uh, Democrats, you know, for years had trouble getting credible candidates. Doug Jones uh, was a dream candidate, but still was probably going to lose. Uh, to he would have lost, lost probably to Luther Strange uh, if Strange would have been the nominee. He probably would have lost to Mo Brooks if Mo Brooks would have won the primary. Uh, Roy Moore gave a little sliver of hope, you know, that that the Democrats could pull off an upset, uh, at least in Democratic circles. But they also kind of knew that like Alabama, you know, was probably going to go with Roy Moore, even as controversial as he was. And then it came roaring back <laughs> and we're like, whoa, OK, when, when all of the allegations of sexual misconduct came up. So now we have Senator-elect Doug Jones and we're already talking about 2018. Now, Doug Jones doesn't he's have senator to. Now. Right, he's right. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah he is. He is a senator. Uh, mm-hmm. He was he was walked down the uh, escorted down the aisle by by Joe Biden, the former vice president of the United States yesterday, sworn in by Mike Pence, another uh, vice, vice president. And On which uh, we're about to enter. So help you, God. I do. Congratulations, Congratulations, Senator. So he got sworn in in this like sort of momentous thing. A lot of people did not think that this would ever happen. Uh, you know, the, again, at least in 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 their the way that they could fathom it. Um, but now we have Doug Jones, and he is a red state Democrat. We're going to talk a little bit about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, you know, like the, in in terms of the you know what Doug Jones has to do as a senator, uh, you wrote you wrote about that quite recently, and we're going to talk about that. 
on your radio, on TV, and online. This is The Bill Press Show. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show. I'm Jason Dick, subbing in for Bill Press, uh, who is out playing, making snow angels uh, in, in Lincoln Park as we speak. I'm joined in studio by Peter Ogburn, as always, he's hey. a stalwart, and by Bridget Bowman, senior political reporter at Roll Call. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you. So, uh, as, as a setup right before we went out there, you wrote about what sort of, like, Senate is, the Senate has changed, it's now 51-49, but for Doug Jones, I mean, he again, he was this perfect Democratic candidate, he managed to win because of, like, a series of uh, unfortunate events for the Republicans, mm-hmm. uh, to quote Lemony Snicket, uh, and... And what does Doug Jones do now? I mean, he is he represents Alabama. Is there anything he can do as he lies like possibly running again in 2020? Right. So he has said that he plans to be really accessible as a senator, that he plans to hold a lot of town halls to travel throughout the state as often as he can. Um, I talked to his his campaign chairman who's not joining his staff, but um, he said he expects him to do that, to travel throughout the state, to really focus on issues like health care. The CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program, was something he talked a lot about on the campaign trail. So to focus on issues specific to Alabama. Of course, as a senator, he's going to be pulled into some of these national debates that come before the Senate. So he's going to be one of those swing votes, especially as if Senator McConnell wants to move forward on some bipartisan legislation and they need that magic number of nine to end debate, he's going to be one of those senators that we're going to be watching, which is kind of interesting given that he's now the least senior senator there. Right. It, it, you know, you, the, the headline was the, um, you know, the red state Democrats dilemma mm-hmm. on, on your story, on, on it, and which you can read on rollcall.com uh, <laughs> if, if, uh, if, if you'd like. Uh, now, the, the, there are a number of senators in this position, though, too. I mean, let, let's right. we, we go through and, and they are they actually are facing the music or the voters, as it were. Uh, in November, in a short, a few short months, and let's let's go just real quickly. The math, the the map is not great for Democrats in the Senate. They they have twenty six seats that they're defending uh, right now. The Republicans have eight. There's thirty four. There's more because of the special election in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. But in particular, who are these? Some of these red states, you know, Democrats who are who have to kind of watch how they vote and keep in touch with the folks back home. Sure. So some of those really red state Democrats. So there are five Democrats that are up for reelection in states that Trump won by about twenty points or more. So big margins here. Um, those include Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Trump won by 40 points. Uh, Senator Heidi Heitkamp. A, a larger margin than Alabama. That's than right. Alabama, right. Yeah, that's right. Um, and Senator Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota, Claire McCaskill of Missouri, Joe Donnelly of Indiana, and John Tester of Montana. So all these folks are up for re-election. And some Democrats say that particularly people like Joe Manchin and Heidi Heitkamp have a sort of personal brand in their state that they've been able to cultivate um, you know, an image of someone who's independent. And that is also the dilemma facing Doug Jones. How does he cultivate that image as someone who's willing to break with his party when he sees that it that that's necessary? So going into 2018, it's going to be interesting to see how these Democrats navigate some of the issues that come before the Senate, given that they were all also united in opposing the Republican health care plan and the tax plan. So is that going to are we going to see a shift in that at, now that we're in an election year? So one one thing that I would I'd found kind of fascinating, and I think that this would be of interest to our our listeners, uh, if you know here at, here at the Bell Press Show, there there there's a tendency I think for some of the listeners to be a bit liberal or progressive. I've heard just rumors, right, Peter? Is yeah, that yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> um, is, is I the, pledge allegiance to the Tea Party. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that Doug Jones won? Did not make the race about Roy Moore. 
I mean, at least he personally didn't. Obviously, mm-hmm. the race was defined by Roy Moore and, and the allegations against him. But Doug Jones did not go out and, and he, he personally was not attacking Roy Moore. Uh, like from he did not go negative in that sense. His campaign did like to, certainly they they quoted some of the women who had made the allegations um, uh, against Roy Moore. But Doug Jones also did not shy away from the policy positions that you would think would not be particularly hospitable in Alabama, like uh, like chip, like right. pro-abortion rights. I mean, when like when like we this. were watching this, I my reaction was, I don't think he's running a very good campaign. Mm-hmm. And in the end of the, at the end of the day, like it turns out he was running a pretty good campaign. Like he did everything right to to win. So like it's so interesting. It was a mistake free campaign for sure. Yeah. Right. It's 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 interesting to me to see some of the lessons that have come out of uh the most recent round of elections, not just with Doug Jones, but you look at um Danica Rome who won, right? Like it was all about the issues. Mm-hmm. There was no, there were no attacks. There were no firing back about why this guy that I'm running against is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just for her. The issue was this, the traffic in her district. For Doug Jones, it was the issue. Right? He never really got into a mud slinging contest with Roy Moore. And like, there's something there. I think there's a lesson to be learned. I think. I also, yeah. Bridget, one of the things I was wondering about with Alabama, you traveled down there. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you went down there and did some great reporting. I mean, it's it's Alabama is an easy place to caricature, you know, in in, in our politics. I mean, plenty of people do it. Um, but in I, I was struck by my own visits down there, you know, to like to Selma, to Montgomery, to Birmingham. Um, it, it the post I think of about a month and month and a half ago they did one of their five myths and and they you know they they sort of quoted James Carville as saying Pennsylvania is Philadelphia on one end Pittsburgh on the rest and Alabama in between mm-hmm. and and the, and they said well th- you could actually say this about Alabama that that it's Montgomery on one end Birmingham on the other and Alabama in between I mean th- mm-hmm. that it, it is set up along some of the same urban suburban and rural divides um, is is it is it Fair to say that, like you know, that you can just write off some of these states in, in, anymore. Like that, that a presidential candidate or a Senate candidate could say, like, well, you know, obviously we could never compete in Alabama or North Dakota or Montana. Right. Well, Democrats will certainly say Alabama proves that we need to compete everywhere. Um, and so I think it is important to note that some of these other states don't have that same dynamic, that same minority voter population that Alabama has. However, the Jones campaign acknowledged even you know a while ago that this would not have been possible without Republicans crossing over. Mm-hmm. I talked to the Jones campaign consultant, Joe Trippi, about this, and I wrote about Republicans who were backing Doug Jones, and they knew going into it that they needed people to cross over, and Roy Moore obviously helped with that. But they also made some outreach to some of these voters. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how some of these red state Democrats, are they going to be doing the same thing, and how do they you know, have that crossover appeal. And Jones, that was something that kind of permeated the Jones campaign. Even his Wi-Fi password on election night was crossover. Oh, really? So they, <laughs> there yeah. we go. <laughs> so they That's really the only the kind of the only that. kind of detail you can get. You can only get that detail from being there. Right. right, <laughs> right. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, and so in a place like Montana, you know, like mm-hmm. John Tester has won two elections already. Uh, he, he's never crossed the 50% threshold. He always wins with like 48%. That was the same thing with Max Baucus for a little while and Steve Bullock. You know, the, and, and all, when Democrats win in in Montana, they tend to like hover around that like that that point of like 48, 49%. They manage to eke things out. Tester doesn't have an opponent. Heitkamp may be getting an opponent soon mm-hmm. uh, in, in Kevin Kramer, who's the at-large uh, member of Congress there. But a lot of these... 
um, a lot of these races are not defined by they're, they're they're defined solely by the incumbents at this point because Joe Manchin doesn't have an opponent opponent yet. I mean he he was he's got a couple of people who want to take him on, but right. they're busy shooting at each other right now. Joe Donnelly too. There's a competitive primary on the Republican side in Indiana, so. We're going to have to see Republicans sort of fight it out now. And meanwhile, the Democrats can move along and and set their own tone going into 2018. And so so we've talked about the Democrats. We, well, I mentioned Claire McCaskill uh, yes. is, is arguably one of the more vulnerable uh, Democrats in a, in a red state. Missouri mm-hmm. went for Trump by a, like 20 points or more, I think, something like that. Um, so so there there are plenty of places where. Democrats are are playing defense, and some of, there are also there's a sort of a second tier of of red state Democrats. Bob Casey in Pennsylvania, uh, Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin. I mean, those are those are more purple states than mm-hmm. than red. I mean, they went for Trump, but they went for Trump like by a fairly small number. It wasn't these wave sort of things like in Montana, North Dakota, in, right. Indiana. Uh, wh- but there are Democrats aren't playing defense totally in the Senate, though. Let's talk about some of the seats where they think that they can go on offense. Because in a 51-49, like, dynamic in the Mm -hmm. the Senate right now, I mean, like, every sort of race, like, turns on, it could turn on the smallest thing. Right. So because of Jones's victory, Democrats now only have to flip two seats and, of course, have to keep all the seats that they have, which, Mm -hmm. as we talked about, is a tall order. Uh, But their two main opportunities are Arizona and Nevada. Arizona, which is now an open seat race because Jeff Flake is retiring, and Nevada, where Republican Dean Heller is facing a primary challenge. So they see those states as kind of their best shots. Um, In some, Tennessee is also a possibility because it's now an open seat race with Bob Corker retiring. Some Democrats have expressed optimism about Texas, though that has its own dynamics there. I saw Uh, in in Texas, I saw Beto O'Rourke had a sort of a Facebook ad in, mm -hmm. in, or or, I I think, or I don't know if it was on other digital or social media platforms, but he, he's sort of like looking into the camera and saying, you know, nobody ever thought that. A Democrat could win in Alabama. Mm-hmm. You know, like Donald Trump won Alabama by 28 points or whatever. He only won Texas by nine points. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, and, and this was like, to me, like th- this is the the other part of the Doug Jones victory is that people can fundraise on this and say like, look, the you know, the, if the Bills can make the playoffs, you know, <laughs> hey, well, if Doug well. Jones can win, if Doug Jones can win in, in Alabama, we can like you can hope in, yes. in these like different places. And we saw a lot of fundraising emails on election night in Alabama coming from Democrats like like Congressman O'Rourke uh, from Jenny Wilson in Utah, who's challenging, I guess now potentially Mitt Romney. Um saying the same thing, that if Jones can do it, so can I. But it is important to note that those unique circumstances in Alabama can't necessarily be replicated in other places. Uh, But in Texas, is kind of interesting. Um, I wrote about a while ago, uh, Senator Cruz, you know, navigating on the health care issue and Mm -hmm. how maybe that was playing out. Um, And in talking to some Democrats there, they were hopeful about Congressman O'Rourke because they see him as sort of a different type of candidate who's embracing some of these progressive values. But Texas is still a Republican state. So Mm -hmm. will Republican voters be receptive to that? Probably not. But we're going to have to see. It's also Mm -hmm. really interesting to to see. I mean, you know, Doug Jones won in Alabama for a lot of different reasons. But one of the big reasons was that African-Americans delivered the vote to Doug Jones. Mm -hmm. And. They haven't necessarily had someone to vote for in the past. Like there haven't been a lot of 
Alabama Democrats they've put on the ballot that that African Americans can get excited about. Sessions won unopposed, I think. For, right, for like it's time, just it's know? just I mean, something that Democrats right. don't typically do. They mm-hmm. don't run well statewide in places like Alabama. But I, I could see a potentially something similar happening in Texas, where you've got a Beto O'Rourke who uh, speaks to uh, the Hispanic community in Texas. And, like, who knows? Anything can happen. Like, if they turn out in the numbers that they turned out in Alabama, who knows what could happen? Yeah. I talk- it's a totally different, like, yeah. set of numbers we're working mm-hmm. with. I talked to one Democratic pollster who worked in Alabama and, and does other states, and he was like, we need to take the phrase that this just can't happen out of our vocabulary Right. Now. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. we don't know. You you just never know. Right. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, in, in a place like Nevada, where they, you know they, Dean Heller was going to be vulnerable regardless, right? Uh, you know, he has to face Danny Tarkanian, who is a sorry, I think the term we use is perennial candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the son of the the late Jerry Tarkanian, uh, UNLV basketball coach. Uh, I mean, but Tarkanian may be able to like damage him or win a primary in Nevada. You know, it just just depends on who shows up. Uh, you know, like in in places like Texas, Nevada, and Arizona. You have a different electorate almost every mm-hmm. <laughs> every couple of years because these these places grow so much, uh, and and it's it's sort of difficult to predict. Uh, Flake isn't running. Let's talk about some of the candidates in in Arizona that that could like, define this race. Sure. So Arizona is kind of tricky because everyone's sort of watching to see what Congresswoman Martha McSally is going to do. She has told and reported and confirmed that she told her House Republican colleagues that she plans to run for Senate, but she still hasn't announced yet. And Mitch McConnell uh, sort of said, like, may have been goosing the engine a little bit by Uh, saying, like, we're we're, we're happy about McSally running. Right. I think at his end of the year press conference, he listed her as one of the top recruits, but she hasn't actually announced yet. So we're kind of waiting to see what she does there. There's already one of her, someone who is aligned with her running for her house seat, right. even though she hasn't vacated it yet. And, and this is the old Gabby Gifford seat, uh, t- right. Tucson and Cochise County down by the border, Douglas, mm-hmm. that that sort of area. It's it's a it's a it's your your just prototypical swing district. Right. You know. And and that has sort of allowed her to carve out a somewhat more moderate profile as a congresswoman. But that could be an issue in a Republican primary. And even though she's not in yet, we already see groups like Club for Growth, more conservative leaning groups saying we don't want her <laughs> to represent right. Nevada. So there you already have State Senator Kelly Ward, uh, former Senator uh, Kelly Ward. Arizona, you said, uh, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Please, please don't confuse Arizona with Nevada ever. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. um, well, Kelly Ward is is there was already right. challenging Jeff Flake. Right. She ran against John McCain. That's uh, right. Last year, uh, and and lost. I think by twenty points or something like that. It was it was closer than you would think it would be against right. against somebody who's like a sort of an icon, a worldwide icon. Right. But she has tried to craft herself as a pro-Trump candidate. Right. Um, she did get the endorsement sort of from Steve Bannon, but was sort of distancing herself from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, her campaign was last night after this kind of feud erupted. Um, and then on the Democratic side, Democrats have at this point, pretty much coalesced around Congresswoman Kirsten Sinema. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you see that dynamic again, a, a pretty probably contested primary on the Republican side. And Democrats, meanwhile, are, you know, going full steam ahead towards the general election. So, I mean, making the assumption that it is a is a probable McSally versus Sinema race. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we talked about McSally. She represents a swing district in the southern part of the state, southeastern part of the state. She's also a combat, you know, veteran. She's an Air Force veteran. She flew, like, warthogs or something like that. I mean, like, kind of, you know, badass. Kind like, of a badass, yeah. yeah. <laughs> credentials. Sinema, uh, state senator, 
Uh, she is like super charismatic. She's very friendly. She like sends birthday wishes to even her Republican colleagues in mm-hmm. the House. Um, she's carved out this very moderate, you know, like kind of record. She's a blue dog. Uh, she also represents a swing district in the Phoenix area, the part, parts of Phoenix uh, and, and Scottsdale and so forth. Uh, and and she you know sort of has the chops. She's she is a politician like that is just gets it and gets and knows how to and has the respect of Republicans too. That like mm-hmm. she knows how to run races. She knows how to carve out a record. So what would be what would be what you are going to look for? Because I'm guessing you're probably going to be headed to Arizona at some point <laughs> for roll call. That'd be good. Uh, That'd what be what, nice. what are you going to look for in this race? Assuming that this is the the dynamic that shapes up. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think it would be what is the what is the Trump factor, I think, is something that's going to permeate some of these other races, like how much are his supporters going to be energized or as Democrats are arguing, are Republicans really going to be so, you know, not depressed, but depressed turnout wise that mm-hmm. they're not going to be excited about what's going on. And are people going to get excited about Congresswoman Cinema? Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some folks in Arizona saying that some progressive groups were not too happy with her because of that more moderate image. So the energy that we've seen on the Democratic side, particularly from people further to the left, is that not going to come out for her in one of their top Senate races? Uh, However, because Democrats see this as a real flipping, a real opportunity to flip this seat, you can see them focusing a lot of resources there. And we've got some of the same dynamics we're talking about in Alabama, right? Right. Where where in Arizona, you've got Phoenix and Tucson, Mm -hmm. the big population centers. They're they're overwhelmingly Democratic. I mean, Phoenix, when I was growing up, uh, was a sort of old white guy, like Midwestern city, you know, mm-hmm. just with better weather. Uh, and, and now it is a majority minority city. I mean, it, it, it's it's fascinating the, the changes that have come to to Phoenix and it just keeps booming. So cinema probably has an edge in, in a place like Phoenix, uh, like McSally has a name recognition in Tucson. Mm-hmm. So that leaves this wide swath of, of kind of rural areas like Flagstaff and and you know, like Yuma and so forth, like up for grabs. I mean, and it's a gigantic place. I mean, it's it just, it, it's very expensive to run because you've got several, I mean, it, 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 you know, you have all these different media markets that you have to compete in. And it, yes, it's cheaper than like Philadelphia and New York, but, you know, when you have to advertise on New Mexico television to reach people in Arizona, mm. <laughs> uh, I mean, or, or even California in some, in some cases, it's just it, it's a it's kind of a mind bogglingly complex situation. Mm-hmm. And that's where you'll see an, a dynamic, too. We're going to be watching who is spending where because Democrats have all these seats they're defending. They have to sp- spread out a lot of resources. But Republicans can really focus on the areas that they mm-hmm. really need to hold, like Arizona and Nevada, too. So we'll have to see kind of how the resources shake out, too, right. and where Arizona falls in that. So not to give short shrift to the to the House, mm-hmm. uh, we, we, we love talking about the Senate because it is this it, 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 the statewide you know races. I mean, there's a lot of money that goes into them. There's a lot of, you know, high profiles. But the House is arguably more in play at this point than the Senate is. Uh, when, when you think about just how many competitive races there are, our colleague Stu Rothenberg uh, is back at roll call uh, after a brief hiatus at the at the Washington Post, mm-hmm. uh, and he wrote a column earlier this week just saying that you know that there, there are the number of competitive seats that are that are out there is is you, you it's not just the districts where Hillary Clinton won in Republican districts. It's a, it's a more expansive board. What are some of the races that you're looking at specifically that you think are, are kind of going to be these harbingers of how this is going to, how the, these races are going to shake out in 2018? Sure. So to Stu's point, which I think was a really interesting 
column too, and and this was reflected on our ten most vulnerable list that we had out several months ago. Available so, at rollcall.com. Exactly, <laughs> just flip that in there. Um, uh, we had we were looking at districts that both Clinton won and Trump won. So places like in New York, nineteen with Congressman uh, Republican Congressman John Faso, Trump won there by a pretty good margin, but Obama had won it twice before. He mm. voted for the Republican health care plan. He has a cut. There are a couple Democrats that have outraised him so far. So these are some of the districts that we're watching, too. Uh, some of our more vulnerable uh, members, our number one on that list was Congressman Daryl Issa from California. Because he narrowly won last cycle. Clinton won his district. Um, it seems like he could have a tough time moving forward. Uh, but he did vote against the Republican tax plan. So he could maybe campaign on that and, and craft himself more as someone who's more independent. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, it, it, it is kind of fascinating. Like, so all these people that you that we've talked about, you know, like the, in, in New York, in California, in Southern California, Dana Rohrabacher also voted against the tax bill. Mm-hmm. Um, in New Jersey, I, I, each one of the Republicans uh, in, in I, I believe, uh, at least initially, they, they all voted against the, um, the Republican tax bill. Uh, but some of the more vulnerable ones, Leonard Lance, mm-hmm. uh, Rodney Freelingheisen, uh, they all voted against that. It, it's... It, is that going to be enough, though? I mean, if, if people see their taxes, you know, if, if, if there is a sort of a tax uncertainty, you know, is, is that going to be enough? Or are they just associated with Donald Trump now, who is not popular in New, Jer- New York and New Jersey or California? Right. That's a good question. And we should know, too, that we're months and months away. So we don't know what yeah. voters are going to be thinking about when they go to vote in November. Um, and we'll have to see what kind of issues are, are top of mind there. But the challenge for these Republicans is to separate themselves from the president and from their party, especially when there are voters in their districts who want them to be more of a check on the administration, and they're going to have to make the argument that they can be that check. The, one, of, one of the kind of interesting things, I, I, not to not to talk too much about Stu, Stu, if you're listening, uh, but, but one of the one of the members that he mentioned in, in was, some, was somebody who got caught, you know, in a, uh, a compromised spot in, in 2006 was Sue Kelly, uh, who, was, who was an upstate New York Republican. Mm-hmm. She had won by double digits uh, the, the previous election cycle in 2004. George W. Bush had won her uh, district easily, and yet she lost to John Hall of Orleans fame. Still the one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and it was just this completely unexpected thing. Are there, are there aside from the 10 most vulnerable, uh, the, and aside from some of the people in, in the Republicans who are representing Hillary Clinton districts who are in New York, New Jersey, California, mm-hmm. places that we would are not particularly hospitable to the Trump message, are there other people that you're looking at that are potentially vulnerable? You know, I'm thinking of people maybe like Kevin Yoder or, mm-hmm. or so forth. I mean, who are these perennial targets that seem to withstand attacks and, and find find a way to, you know, they either have their own brand or they find their way to 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 win. Are there other candidates that you're that are the reach candidates you would think for the for the Democrats? Yeah. So those along those same lines, as you said, in terms of perennial targets that I think will be interesting, does a wave finally take these people out like Mike Kaufman in Colorado mm-hmm. or Will Hurd in Texas, whose districts by the numbers should be more Democratic, but they've been able to create this this image this brand, of right. Uh, what is that? Sorry. A, a brand. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. No, a brand yeah. of uh, of being more independent. And particularly in Mike Kaufman's case, he's been someone that they've been targeting for the last few cycles, but he has held on even though Clinton won his district. And uh, folks, Democrats and Republicans in that district would tell you that his work ethic and his outreach to the community has really kind of cemented his 
his image there. But it'll be interesting to see if that gets swept up in a way of just given the numbers that are there. And Democrats are excited about a candidate there named Jason Crow, who's a veteran who they're they're pretty excited about and think maybe finally that they they've can the, win that got the seat. guy. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, interesting. You mentioned you mentioned Heard. Mm-hmm. Um, Heard. Uh, is in his second term, uh, and he he and and Beto O'Rourke are are kind of yes. like these they're they're these, these bipartisan buddies. Mm-hmm. You know, they there was some a weather event last year sometime, and they 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 couldn't get on planes to come to Washington, so they did a, a you know they jumped in a car, a rental car, and they Facebook lived it you know the entire way from Texas to uh, um, you know to Washington. I, I might add also that El Paso, where Beto is from, and and San Antonio, where where Hurt is from, are not close. <laughs> it's, it's it's like six hundred miles. So they had to, like O'Rourke had to get there to San Antonio first. Um, but you know that that obviously that serves O'Rourke if he can show that like I'm I'm friends with this guy. I'm friends with this Republican who's like mm-hmm. a nice guy and he was a former CIA agent and you know and so forth. And, and Hurd can also latch on to Beto and say like, look, I'm friends with a Democrat too to his San Antonio constituents. Yeah. Does that work at cross purposes for what Democrats are trying to accomplish? In trying to demonize Republicans in Texas. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) I was actually listening to you. So uh, Congressman Hurd did a podcast with NPR called It's Been a Minute podcast, Mm -hmm. and I was listening to last night because this is what I do in my free time. I listen to (laughs) members of Congress on podcasts. It can't be all Buffalo Bills all the time. Exactly. (laughs) But it was interesting hearing him talk about, he was asked, like, are you concerned about all the Democratic energy that's out there? And he said, no, because people in my district know me. And it was what kind of stuck out to me is he used the exact exact same phrase that I had been hearing Doug Jones say for weeks and weeks was that there's more uh, that unites us than divides us. We have more in common than people think. And so it'll be interesting to see if he and other Republicans in districts like him let, move that message forward and if they can do that effectively in this kind of increasingly partisan environment that we're in. Bridget, we are out of time, but thank you so much for trudging through this inch and a half of snow. That Please you stop it out there. I know you're not used to this, but you can follow Bridget uh, on Twitter at BridgetBHC. She's got some great stories up, you know, just in the last couple of days. She just never stops. She's a machine. Uh, thank you so much for for talking to us about the midterms. Thank you for having me. The president uh, and the people of this country should be concerned about the mental fitness of the leader of North Korea. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show. I'm Jason Dick. I'm the managing editor for Leadership and Enterprise at Roll Call. That is certainly a mouthful. Uh, Bill is, uh, I think that he has now found a, he's gone past the ice skating part of his escapades today yes. on the Potomac River, but he's heading up the Anacostia, yeah. uh, like on, on, on ice skates. <laughs> Uh, this he'll, is like he'll, the NORAD Santa track. Right. Where is Bill Press? Where is Bill So I'm guest hosting. I am the interloper. Peter Ogburn is here. Uh, nice he, to have he, you here, man. He's always here. Nice he's to have always you here. here. I'm just the guy who like comes in for all the like the guest hosting glory. <laughs> We're joined here uh, in, in by our council member, Charles right. Allen. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Welcome. I, I also might mention that you might follow uh, Councilman 
Alan at Charles Allen on Twitter uh, because he's going to taunt Kim Jong Un uh, after we get off this uh, <laughs> after we get off this segment, uh, or or maybe Larry Hogan. I don't know. You know, like you know, there's like these sort of sort of Twitter spats. Uh, welcome. Before we get into our uh, the substantive part of our program, everything is substantive, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, but uh, I w- I was struck that you know we've been talking a great a great deal about Alabama. Doug Jones, a Democrat uh, from Alabama who beat Roy Moore in the special election, was sworn in yesterday. So that was part of the top of the hour. We talked about that with uh, Bridget uh, Bowman, my roll call colleague, about like sort of Senate dynamics. But also, I had forgotten that you are an Alabama native, and Peter's people, as you would say my in people. the South, are, are, yeah, from, right. are, are from, uh, and I, I guess you said that in Arizona, too, because we came from a, like a rural part of the state. People say, you're people. You know? But are you uh, good people? Are you good? We're good that's people. The, that's yeah. the key phrase. Good, good people. Good people. Yeah. <laughs> so, but there, there's a lot of Alabama going on here, right? I mean, <laughs> there sure is. Well, I'm excited to uh, to welcome Doug Jones to D.C., and, um, and maybe he'll set up his temporary residence here in Ward 6 on Capitol Hill. Um, but yeah, Marissa or even along the wharf, perhaps that's Ward Six too, yeah. right? Yeah. Great news about Ward Six is he has lots of great neighborhoods to choose from. I could evangelize about that. Um, but yeah, I'm from Birmingham originally. Um, moved up here in uh, the winter of 2000, 2001 um, to start working for the federal government. Then fell in love with DC and then never turned back. And, and this is home now. I'm trying to think. If you came here in 2001, that means the Crimson Tide won what five national championships since you moved here? <laughs> um, as an Auburn fan, I'd like to point oh, out no! that um, oh, Charles, that. No, don't that <laughs> Auburn beat both Alabama and Georgia uh, this year, so, if, if, so if, we got that going for us. If it makes you, if it, if it's it's a little bit of a salve, Peter. Don't forget that one of the one of the factors in Alabama was Charles Barkley, who, true. who, who campaigned for Doug Jones Absolutely. and is an Auburn man. The one himself. Auburn, uh, the, the round uh, mound of rebound. <laughs> I know, love from, Charles from, Barkley. From I can't hold the Auburn thing against him. Well, I was excited, though, and I, my. Friends and family back home, pretty excited with Doug Jones. Um, so I, I'm hoping great things out of him. Um, and it looks like he's hiring a great staff already. Mm-hmm. So we're excited for him to, to come on up. And I'd love to to help introduce him to a little bit of local D.C. in the process. Perfect. Uh, and and speaking of local D.C., um, you know, we're uh, you know, we're here on Capitol Hill there in the Bill Press show. Uh, you're you're on Capitol Hill yourself. Uh, you know, I've run into you not just for for segments where we were, for roll call and so forth, where we've interviewed you about the future of RFK Stadium and so forth, uh, but also you know I, I think I've seen you at uh, you know Patango or or Probably Paris or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so you're you're and and members of Congress, like most of them, or not I guess not most of them, but like certainly a good number of them, particularly the ones who sleep in their offices. Uh, th- <laughs> these are your. <laughs> <laughs> These are your constituents. I yeah. mean, they, they may be constituents three days out of the week. If in the case of the the house, how can we get that gig? By the way, like yeah, right. <laughs> having that sort of actually, I don't want that gig because I don't <laughs> like spending any more time in airports than I need to. Um, but. These are your constituents. I mean, and what what's that like being the? I mean, you're the you're the councilman like who represents Capitol Hill. Uh, you, I mean, these are the icons of democracy from the Capitol Dome to you know. I mean, you just you run into members of Congress, senators, former senators too, former members of mm-hmm. Congress, just puttering around Eastern Market and so forth. What what's it like to represent these people uh, on the city council? Well, you know, I try to treat them, of course, just like anybody else. Um, you know, they um, they live here. For a good chunk of time, mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of the members who actually have young families, their kids are actually in schools here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'll they'll have their trash missed uh, from time to time. They'll they'll want their uh, their streets plowed. They'll they'll call because there's a rat in the alley. Um, you know, I try <laughs> more to, on that later. Yeah, more on rats. <laughs> I, I try to treat them just as any other constituent, but it is mm-hmm. a unique relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And you also have a lot of Hill staffers, mm-hmm. so uh, they're also my constituents. Um, what I try to do, of course, is not just be their council member for for when they're here. 
Um, but, you know, I believe that we need to carry the message that um, that there are 700,000 people that live here in D.C. that actually don't have a member of Congress, that don't have two senators. Uh, we are larger than several states. We pay Wyoming, much more, Alaska, much more than, um, than many people do in, in federal taxes. Yet um, my kids have an expectation to serve in our military, have an expectation to pay federal taxes, but have no voice in their own government. And it's just wrong. Um, so what I try to do is actually take the tack of, of helping work with them, help solve their problems like any good council member would, but also make it very personal. Because mm-hmm. uh, if we're ever going to achieve D.C. statehood and get the representation that I think we are due and that I think is just a morally right thing for us to do, I need it to be personal. I need to run into them in the grocery store and they need to hang their heads when they can't support statehood mm-hmm. um, because it's the right thing for them to do, but um, they need to be able to recognize us as neighbors. It It is, I mean, it is striking. I mean, granted, winter is not the greatest time to run into people, especially this sort, this sort of winter that we're experiencing this morning. Uh, but I mean, it, it, right before Christmas, I mean, I, I ran into Dennis Kucinich, Debbie Stabenow, um, um, you know, it was just this like sort of parade of members and former members uh, of Congress just sort of puttering around Capitol Hill, just, you know, in Eastern Market, just picking up their groceries or looking at uh, the, you know, cufflinks that have been made out of old typewriter keys, you know, <laughs> like that from those vendors and so forth. Uh, it, it's sort of fascinating. And so... Well, I'll never forget at Eastern Market one time. So back in 2004, I was campaigning hard for Howard Dean. Um, and so I, I had a little table popped up on the corner and we'd be campaigning. And, um, you know, anybody that walked by got two seconds. Let me tell you about this guy, Howard Dean. He's going to be our next president. And um, this guy comes by carrying an arm full of shirts and he's head of the dry cleaner. I'm like, sir, can I stop you for a second? Let me tell you about Howard Dean. He says, try me. Um, so we talk <laughs> for a second and, um, and we chat and he's got this little wry smile on his face. And, uh, and he says, you have no idea who I am, do you? I was like, well, no, sir, but I, I, I want your vote for Howard Dean. He's like, well, I'm Senator Jim Jeffords, and um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know Howard Dean better than you, and I'll just leave it at that, and he walked away. Um, but these are the guys that this run- the it. former uh, independent senator from Vermont, Republican turned independent. That's right. T- turned, actually, a, ma- a majority from Republican to Democrat in 2001. Exactly. With his, with his switch. But those are the types of folks that are in our neighborhood, too. Um, you know, so, uh, so occasionally you get to- Try to convince a, a, a sitting senator to, to vote in a local election. That's cool. Yeah. That's a great policy segue. Uh, so, <laughs> so a lot of a lot of these. <laughs> I see why you bring him in. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. A lot of these uh, a lot of these members of Congress, if they don't have insurance of their own through mm-hmm. their spouses or through their own, you know, like sort of wherewithal, uh, and their staffs are on the D.C. exchanges, either through mm-hmm. the Small Business Exchange or, or the or the you know the the marketplaces the market that the ACA set up. Uh, the Trump administration has has been openly hostile <laughs> toward the Affordable Care Act. Uh, they've reduced the cost sharing reductions. Um, they you know they zeroed out the penalty for the for not adhering to the individual mandate to purchase health insurance. Um, but these are, you know, the the people who work for Congress, at least, you know, in, in the personal staffs and so where they rely on these marketplaces to work. What are some of the ways that, you know, the D.C. Council has tried to assuage any concerns on mm-hmm. people on Capitol Hill that they will ha- they'll be able to purchase health insurance uh, through through these exchanges, even as the administration is, is said that they're they're not really interested in making them work? Yeah. Well, I'll be honest, I haven't really spent a whole lot of time trying to make members of Congress feel better about this. Um, I focus more on um, uh, on the D.C. residents, on the uh-huh. 700,000 residents. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew when Trump took office, he wanted to do damage, I think, to our country. But in particular, he wanted to hurt women. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to roll back the, the Affordable Care Act, and in particular protections uh, for women's health, 
uh, for access to contraception to uh, eliminating the, the the payments that go with just picking up contraceptions. Um, we, as the council, I introduced legislation last year, uh, which has now worked its way through and it's uh, becoming D.C. law, that basically enshrined all of those federal protections into our local law. Because what we wanted to do is say, listen, we know these guys are going to try to do damage. They're going to try to hurt. They're going to try to repeal. They don't have a plan. Um, but we want to build it in because we know it's the right thing to do right here in D.C. Um, so we've done that. And I'm really proud. Every one of my colleagues uh, voted for it, co-sponsored it, and came on board with it. Um, and so we've put that in place. So for women in the district, we have gone ahead and written in those protections. So whether that's a Hill staffer or just any one of the hundreds of thousands of regular D.C. residents, uh, we've built that into law now because uh, it's the right thing to do. And I do not want to put it up to the p- political winds of who, whatever's going to compel these guys um, to make these choices. These are local choices. And, and, and these, this is what right for our D.C. residents. So you're saying local control. That, that's almost like a Republican like talking point, like local <laughs> state control, like local rights, state rights. Like, right. Is that <laughs> you think you'd have Rand Paul with us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah it's it's a it's a fundamental philosophy. So uh, some some of the other I mean, it, there's a lot made of, of California said. I mean, and granted, California is is its own universe. I mean, it's the I think the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world. Uh, but they have set themselves up as sort of like the center of resistance to to the administration and you know are, are passing, you know, laws in, in California to, you know, codify sanctuary cities and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, the, but but we have I mean, in, in addition to just like sort of the protections you talked about with the ACA, there are other policy areas that you're that the D.C. seems to be setting itself up as, as it almost seems like a rebuke of of the administration or at least the, the, some of the things that they're silent on. Um, let, let's talk about some of those other things. Yep. Uh, for, for instance, I mean, you 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 talked a little bit, or, or you've talked a little bit about the the hands off movement. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that's unique about the district, and and for your listeners who aren't from around the DC or DC area, uh, may not be aware, um, we have a local locally elected mayor, which acts like a governor. Uh, we have a locally elected council, which acts as our state legislature. When we pass laws or pass a budget, um, unfortunately, we have to let Congress have a final say. And every now and then, some random conservative member from some district thinks they can do a fundraising email off of it, and so they'll try to block something from taking effect. Um, we had that happen not too long ago with our good friend uh, Jason Chaffetz uh, from Utah, who uh, I think is happily resigned and now a Fox contributor or something like that. Um, also one of the members who slept on a cot uh, in his uh, in his office. But he decided that he wanted to overturn one of our local laws. and. We were just going to have none of it. Um, we organized shortly after the inauguration, uh, essentially a hands-off DC movement, and we have to be able to protect our laws. And Eleanor Holmes Norton is a fierce advocate and a warrior on the Hill for us in DC, but we've got to be able to make sure that residents show up. So when they tried to do it, we had hundreds of residents that showed up um, protesting outside Jason Chaffetz's office, saying absolutely not. And in that momentum carried though, we had an amazing. Uh, and powerful meeting uh, with residents where they gather to talk about how we can help keep Congress and tell them to keep their hands off D.C. But then really, how do you help keep that movement going? We've had trainings. We've had um, days where moms and dads and their kids go lobby on the Hill and go door to door. Um, These guys, when they fight D.C. statehood, one of the things they'll always say is, hey, you're the most represented place in the world, in the country, because guess what? Every senator and member of Congress cares about you and represents you. No, they don't. Yeah. Um, but if they really want to try to make that argument, then let me go send moms and dads to go knock on their doors. Every single one of them refuses a meeting. Uh, their staff, at best, will get a, a junior staffer intern who will come talk. But but we have to keep the pressure up, and there have to be consequences. That's why we um, have, have formed um, 
uh, Americans for Self-Determination, which is a, a PAC, which is raising money to be able to go compete in these districts. So when Jason Chaffetz or anybody else wants to go try to overturn our law, um, we'll come at you. And um, Andy Harris in Maryland is, has done a lot of damage to a lot of our local laws. Um, how do we help recruit candidates, support them, and, um, and try to get these guys out of office, but also make sure they know there is a political consequence to pay if they want to mess with D.C.? I have to ask you a question about a little bit of breaking news. Uh, the AP, uh, some AP sources have said Attorney General Jeff Sessions will rescind policy that allowed legal marijuana to flourish without federal intervention. Washington, D.C. is one of those places where marijuana is has been at least decriminalized, legalized in a lot of uh, instances. So now Jeff Sessions is going to rescind the policy that allowed states to make those decisions for themselves. Well, I'll have to... I, I... It's, if it's breaking news, I haven't seen it yet, sure, so sure, I'll have sure. to take a look at that. But um, in D.C., so we have decriminalized marijuana, which is absolutely the right thing to do, and I don't think Jeff Sessions can touch that element of it because that's okay. a local law. Um, and Speaking of Andy Harris, what uh, Andy Harris, who is, uh, I think, the only Republican member of Congress from Maryland, what he did is he put a budget rider on um, that basically prohibits our ability to, um, to have any type of sale or regulation yeah. of marijuana. So while we've decriminalized it, and we've legalized the ability to have small amounts on your person as well as to be able to consume at home. Um, we're not able to do what a lot of other states do, where you can have a store, you can sell, you can tax, you can regulate. Right. Exactly. Um, and But for that rider in the budget that Andy Harris decided to insert in his great wisdom from Maryland. Um, <laughs> you know, So I'm not sure what Jeff Sessions' impact would have on us because yeah. of that. But again, I'll go back to self-determination. Um, I think this is best decided by our local jurisdictions. I think we know very well that um, that plenty of states have figured out how to do this, do this well. Um, it, there is a market for it as well. And so there's an economic impact that states and jurisdictions will have. And, and I think the district should be able to craft its own future and map its own course on this and not have some member of Congress decide what is or is not best for it, us. It is kind of nuts to, like when you talk about that, that like we have all the benefits of having decriminalized marijuana, but none of the actual money. Which has only actually contributed to a gray market. Yes. So, right. I mean, so, so you have the, you know, you have like these apps, you know, where you can buy cookies. And, yes. And they'll also deliver a, a gift, like a fifty dollar uh, cookie. A, a, yeah. 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 There's the, you know, the, there are different, you know, kind of venues for getting it, mm -hmm. but none of them have the the benefit of being regulated uh, right. and and taxed. Uh, and a couple couple election cycles ago, when. Kinky Friedman was running for agriculture commissioner in Kinky. in uh, yeah. in Texas. Uh, he he had run a couple times unsuccessfully for governor, mm -hmm. but had gotten a decent amount of support. And one of the things he was running on for as ag commissioner uh, was he's like, why should we let a pissant state like Colorado get all get all these <laughs> get all these uh, you know benefits you know like to, you know, where they 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 can build up their schools now and they can. They could, you know, build their roads and they can finance all these yeah, things that people want and need because they're selling to people who like have, you know, <laughs> are, are, are just want to go and like snuggle up with a bag of Cheetos and watch Cheech and Chong. You know? <laughs> There's like, an obscene <laughs> amount of money, an obscene yeah. amount of money being made in Colorado and Washington and now California that it's right. uh, that it's legal and anywhere, anywhere else that they're taxing it. It's, it's insane. I mean, to no. be to be fair to Sessions, um, you know, with Mueller investigating Trump and and uh, all, all these other sort of things, I mean, he, he probably doesn't have a ton to do. You know? <laughs> so, so um, you know, he, I, I guess it's just like, well, what, what am I going to do today? I, I guess I'm going to get down on these potheads, you know. <laughs> that's been his pet peeve. See, you're bringing it all back to Alabama again. Right. Um, yeah, 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 that's yeah. been one of his pet peeves from the very beginning. That's yeah. right.
That's right. Um, all right. So let, let's let's talk about. There's a. Uh, we're also looking at public financing of mm-hmm. political campaigns yes. in, in the district. Um, you know, uh, otherwise you know known as clean clean election laws fair and elections. so forth. Fair yep. elections. Yep. Uh, in different jurisdictions. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. How it affect, may affect your race, for instance. Well, like, I think it, it hopefully will affect everybody's race. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm I'm a candidate who uh, I was the first candidate in D.C. to run without taking any corporate or PAC dollars to win. Mm-hmm. I will say there's been candidates before that have done it and not won. Um, you know, I, I don't believe in Citizens United. I do not believe that corporations are people. Um, so I believe that if I'm going to take someone's money uh, as a candidate, I better be willing to stand right next to that person. And having it come from an individual means transparency. Um, but we also still have, no matter which route you take on that, we have too much money in campaigns and politics. And big money has an outsized influence. And if you look at D.C.'s donor base, basically, um, it does not look like D.C.'s population. And so the doni- donations are typically going to be predominantly from a whiter audience and a more male audience uh, than the district population at large. Mm-hmm. So how do we get at that? Public financing of elections is one of the ways we've done it. And a lot of jurisdictions have done it very successfully. And um, as the chair of the, of the Council's Committee on Judiciary and Public Safety, I have oversight over our elections and campaign finance. So I've been leading uh, this effort to, to help uh, move us in this direction. And we're going to have a vote on this next Tuesday. What it does is essentially say that for candidates, we want the small dollar donor to be more impactful. And so what you do is you set up a match for that. Uh, New York has this, a lot of other jurisdictions. And essentially, it shifts the candidate's approach. So candidates no longer fundraise to go find the people who are going to max out with $502,000 contributions, which is our our maximums here in D.C., but instead they're going to focus on the $5, the $10 contribution. By matching it six times, $5 becomes $30, $10 becomes $60. You'll hear over and over again from residents who say, I don't want to really get engaged in this process because what is my $5 going to really turn into? Um, well, when I can show them that it's going to turn into 60 bucks or it's going to turn into to something like that, um, I as a candidate have an even greater um, need to go talk with constituents and not spend time just dialing for dollars. So I think it fundamentally changes the way that candidates will run for office. But it also has another great thing, great aspect to this, which is challenging incumbents. And I say this as an incumbent. You want a healthy democracy. You want to have a challenge. You want to have, I got to fight and defend why I do my job and why I'm asking to do it again for four more years. And when candidates can't raise the money they need to be able to be competitive, um, I think it hurts democracy overall. I better have confidence in myself that I'm going to win my race because I'm good at what I do and I work hard to solve the problems for the residents of Ward 6. Um, I should never be afraid that something like this is going to allow other candidates to come up. But in particular, if you want to diversify your candidate pool, you want to be able to make sure that you've got candidates who can go raise the 5 and $10 contributions and become viable. And public financing is the way to do that. So we're going to pass fair elections on Tuesday. I'm really excited about it. Um, I think it will help fundamentally shift the way that elections are run in local D.C. Maybe it'll be a guide uh, to others elsewhere. Um, but I think this is something that's going to really have a uh, have a really positive impact on our democracy and our I elections. I love it, man. I think it's yeah. so smart. I really do. I just think that's the direction that politics kind of has to go. Mm-hmm. Because you have, I mean, look, you have both parties that for so long have been so beholden to these big dollar donors, and you can't go out there anymore. I mean, this is this is what, one of the problems with, with why Hillary Clinton was such a flawed candidate. You know, you can't go out there and be the party of change and be the candidate of change when you are still doing things the way that they've always yeah. been done. Right. And Bun- like, bundling, you know, right. gigantic like packages of money and like you know, from people on Wall Street. There, I mean, it was comical at how the Republicans were coming out during the whole tax reform uh, debate 
where they were saying, look, we've got our donors telling us we've got to get it done. Well, who does that matter to yeah. besides the donors or the politicians? Like, that doesn't matter to any of the constituents. It's crazy. And so, but the thing is, Democrats are doing the same thing. Yeah. Like, you might not like it, but that's just how the thing is set up now. So the fact that you guys are breaking away from that, I think, is not only smart. I think it's it's where we're going. I think it's it where is, we have to go. I think it's where we have to go. It's where we should go. And yeah. I think that, um, as a proud Democrat, um, we should also have confidence. If you believe that you're doing a good job, you believe that you're working hard to help serve your residents, um, you shouldn't be afraid there's going to be competition. Right. And they're going to have resources. Yeah. Um, and frankly, a, as somebody... An actual competition of ideas. Competition is good. And I'll say as somebody who, who ran in an open primary four years ago, um, having a healthy competition, I'll tell you, it made me a better candidate. It made me a better council member. So having those, having to go through that is a very good thing for democracy. But I will also believe that it turned, it, it results in better elected officials because you have to work for it and you got to work hard. And and it's, you know, the dynamics in D.C. I mean, Donald Trump won 4% here. So, I mean, like it's, <laughs> you know, it, it's easy to run against Trump. Uh, but the unintended consequence of some of this is that, I mean, the, the Republican Party is sort of moribund here yeah. uh, in, in D.C. So how do you get how do you get people to bring up good ideas and not just have to run all everybody run to the left? Right. right? And like if, you're, if your biggest threat is from somebody who's just more liberal uh, than, than the next person. Uh, you, that's not a particularly healthy exchange either. Is is to try to out you know out you know kind of commie the other person uh, <laughs> in in uh, in in far left district. What one thing uh, I I also wanted to just talk about. We just got a couple minutes left yeah. here. Uh, is is I mean the district is I mean again we were, we were talking with Bridget Bowman earlier about how Alabama is this easy place to caricature right mm-hmm. you know, for, for people who don't are not from there. D.C. is also a very easy place to caricature as well. Um, what. What would you tell people about this city? I mean, you've been here since 2001. I've been here since 1998. We've seen this huge sea change yeah. in the city. In the minute we have left, how would you describe the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C., uh, to, to people who are who have not been here or yeah. may have only been to the National Mall? I think that the local D.C. is, is an amazing place. Again, 700,000 residents. They're, they're just like – I mean, to, to every listener you've got, they're exactly like your listeners. Um, they go to church. They go to synagogue. They go to mosque. Um, these are folks that have their neighborhood schools, their neighborhood parks, they shop in the local businesses. Um, local DC is a beautiful place. So when people come visit the district, I always recommend get off the mall, go yeah. check yeah. out these amazing neighborhoods that we have, these great people. Um, it's, it's just an, an amazing place. We have an effort, um, made in DC where we have manufacturers and entrepreneurs that are making an incredible, incredible things here in DC. Um, so like beer. We make a lot of good so beer. Many breweries. We make a lot of good beer, but a lot of other things. Um, and and so I, I encourage anybody who who from from your national audience coming to visit DC is make sure you get off the mall, come visit our local DC. You're going to be impressed with what you find, but take it home with you and realize that you've got 700,000 people uh, that don't have a voice in the federal government, and that should bother you. It should really bother you. Um, and we need their fight. We need them to help join the fight to make sure that DC can become a state have full representation. I got a five year old and a one year old. Um, by the time they can vote, I want them to be able to, to have a member of Congress and two senators. Councilman Charles Allen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. And uh, enjoy the snow today. You can follow Charles Allen on Twitter at Charles Allen uh, and see what he's up to as your council member here in D.C. Thanks Absolutely. so much for listening to the Bill Press Show. I'm Jason Dick. Bill Press will eventually be back. This is the Bill Press Show. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. 
Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.